0: to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that can exist around people who smile evilly. As
1: always, I'm Mario Lanza.
2: I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, you know, it's cool we're doing this podcast, guys. I I only have strep throat, you know, but whatever.
1: I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm happy to be part of the Survivor podcast equivalent of Fartin' Beans.
3: Uh, And I'm Paul Osselstead, and I'm pissed, and I'm probably going to be pissed for the whole time, so let's just get ready to do this. And
2: this is the Dragon Slayer, Coach Benjamin Wade.
3: All right, and we are here
0: to talk about a uh, very uh, unique, distinct—I would say—fairly popular series in the uh, entry, in the uh, series uh, in Survivor. What the hell did I just say? Uh, Survivor token teams. Although we should—what Clarify this right off. Oh man, we should. Uh, <laughs> clarify this right off the, oh, yeah, should, really this. This
1: right off the bat. Is it?
0: Token Teens or Token Cheens? What the hell was up with the pronunciation here?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing of, like, what do you go off of? Because I believe Jeff has always said Token Cheens, but I have no idea if that's the actual pronunciation of the area itself. So we might go with, like, the show's version of things, since we're primarily oriented around the show. But for all we know, that could be completely culturally inaccurate.
0: Yeah, we have a couple teachers here. Let's have the teachers weigh in. What's, uh, what's your stance on this?
3: It's kind of like potato, potato, marquesa, marquesa, token teens, token teens. So uh, whatever you choose. I choose the teens at the end um, just because I guess I follow Jeff's lead. But I, like Mike said, no idea what's actually
1: accurate. Well, Paul, but you're about to go teach some token teens, right, at your new job?
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> That's so good.
3: <laughs> so I guess I, I guess I do just say token teens then because it wouldn't make sense if I'm teaching some teens.
0: <laughs> it's a strong start to the podcast so far. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Stupid you're, wordplay. You're, you're I watched int- your in- intro. Yeah, yeah. Your intro
2: was like you know after 60 or whatever episodes that we've done of this, it's nice to see that you can still cut an intro. And uh, we've got the the great joke by Mike. And uh, I'm just going to refer to it as the Brazilian Highlands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way easier.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's the Sade of Survivor season It's spelled Sade, but pronounced Sade. <laughs> There you go. That's my Dennis Leary uh, homage. Okay, so here we are. We are following up a very uh, uh, unconventional Survivor season, what one of our readers wrote in and said, you know, Gabon is kind of like Napoleon Dynamite. There's no real way to clarify what kind of a season it is, and that's an excellent way to describe it, but I'm glad we're past that. And now we're up to the season of Coach and some other people.
2: Oh, you said it was like Napoleon Dynamite. I was like, oh, it was an hour and a half too long?
0: Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Jay hates the Mormons. I look Napoleon
2: Dynamite. I, I, I'm not going to speak bad of it in the sense of, you know, I like the concept and stuff like that. But like you could tell that that movie they, they took a but they had like a bunch of things that they wrote down and then stretched it and you could feel it. You could feel the length on that.
1: Napoleon, there's no way you could possibly know that. <laughs> I do feel like Tyson, with his deadpan delivery specifically in this season, could fit somewhere in the realm of Napoleon Dynamite. So let's see if Jay's continued apparent hatred of and everything associated with Mormons becomes uh, <laughs> more fervent throughout <laughs> the course of the season.
0: Oh, boy. Jay's you anti-funeral potatoes. Yeah, here we are. we are. We are shutting off one part of our market. Right off the what? bat. This is a strong start what? to a season.
2: Just because I just because I said that Napoleon Dynamite was stretched, wow! Um,
0: Slippery slope. I'm not the one who said it was bullshit, Jay. You're the one that's talking <laughs> shit about the Mormons. <laughs> oh
2: my god! Um, so this is an interesting one as far as seasons go because there there's things about it that are very traditional. There's things that are not traditional, and and by this in the sense that also I feel like this cast is very up and down like the 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 standouts on this cast stand very much out and there are a bunch of people where like literally i watched the first episode and you know we're on the bouncy truck with jeff Probst going in there and i'm like wow half of these people i totally forgot were on survivor
0: yeah in my opinion it's not an especially strong season and i know that will kind of surprise people because people know i like coach so much but i don't i've never thought token teens is especially strong i think coach and tyson are such amazing standouts as characters it kind of disguises the fact that it's a very weak season but at the same time i'm giving it a chance as i watch it it's a very popular season when you go on message boards and you see people asking oh what season i want to start watching survivor which one should i start with token teens is often mentioned people always say oh start with that one it's a good one it's it's popular it explains what survivor is so it's This is one that among the internet crowd has always been fairly popular, and that's, I mean, you have the Stephen Fishbach bump with Rob has a podcast and Tyson and stuff, but I think it was popular even before that. It's always kind of been had a good reputation, and I think that's kind of going to be my my challenge in this podcast to try to figure out why it has such a good reputation, because I don't think it's especially strong.
1: Well, I think it's going to have a lot of connection to the ultimate winner of this season in JT. We're going to have a lot to say about JT. I know that Jay sort of alluded to at the end of our previous Gabon Megalith of a podcast, uh, JT's legacy, but this is such... A fantastic season for the winner. Even from the beginning, we're going to cover the first, like, four episodes here, essentially through the rise and fall, if you call it a rise, of Sandy in this game. Uh, But even from the start, JT has such a positive edit that it— I mean, he's essentially the golden boy throughout the entire course of the season that looking back on it, it really is not that much of a surprise that he wins 7-0, considering how much everyone loves him from the get-go.
3: Yeah, and that's um I've I've alluded to it perhaps before. Token Sheens is not my favorite season, probably my least favorite of the first twenty seasons. And I think it's always been hard for me to like state exactly why, and that's part of the challenge I'm giving myself in rewatching Token Sheens, is to really uh pinpoint what it is about it that I don't especially love and, and kind of what I what I've always said going into it, and we'll see as it continues on, is one thing is what Mike you're just talking about with JT, and I thought, I mean, I think JT is fine, but uh, I just think the fact that it is kind of such an easy path for him, and, and how obvious it is, and how much time we spend on him, how everyone loves him, that's part of why I don't fall in love with the season. Um, and then the second reason is a uh, you know that guy named Coach, who I, I, we might talk about a little bit. Uh, Coach is fine, but I'm also not. A huge I never like fell in love with Coach the way that Mario did in his great write up on the one fifteen and and I think coach is fine, but I think if you don't buy into coach a hundred percent it's hard to really love this season, so those are kind of the two big obstacles that that I see going going uh, back on this rewatch of token Jeans.
1: It's interesting because I think that if this podcast uh, you know, if someone from 2009—I guess that's when this aired—would like found this podcast somehow and listen back at it, they would be completely flabbergasted at the idea of people having such an admiration of Coach. Uh, obviously, we talk a lot about the historical connotation of these seasons, but I'm—I'm I'm assuming it's something we'll repeat over and over and over again. And Mario, you—I think—hold a lot of credit for this. For a while after Survivor token Sheens, Coach was deplored by nearly the entire Survivor fan community as just a douche and a smarmy asshole and talks out of his ass. And it only took in recent years for people to come around on that almost ironically. There are some exceptions, Paul being included, that still kind of look upon him with that negative attitude. But at the time, and you could tell from the edit how much the editors were having fun with it, but nobody was having fun with Coach at the time the season aired. Everyone detested him from what I could see.
0: Yeah. And this, again, that's what we do is we put this show into historical context. Yeah, he was not popular at the time. I mean, obviously, there's there's outliers, people that like Coach. But if you think about basically what Philip Shepard is, that's what Coach was at the time. People were like, oh, my God, this blowhard. I can't stand him. This douchebag. He's an asshole. I can't wait for him to fall. Then he got voted out. People just laughed at him. They loved it that he was gone. Now the narrative could go back to Survivor again. It's not just about Coach all the time. And again, I I can take some credit because I've written so much about Coach over the years to try to get people to appreciate him. But I will always say it was really heroes versus villains that I think got people to soften Coach before I ever wrote a word about him. The second time around, you kind of got he was a little more straight comic relief at the time. Like he's presented very seriously in Token Teens to the point that I know Coach himself has told me when he watched Token Teens, he's like, "Yeah, I would have hated that asshole too. Like that that guy was just a dick that they portrayed on the screen." So. I do think heroes versus villains had more to do with that than I probably did.
2: I completely agree with you, and i I think that's that's one of the the things with this show is that you know when I, t- I I think that you're right in the sense that I feel like this cast overall is not a super strong cast and not a super memorable cast. Just as I was saying that I I was just like wow I remember Jerry like okay you know or or, or you know even Sydney and, and 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 you know even Joe and people who go even further you're like wow I I totally forgot you were on the show. And, you know, we, we have such a positive connotation for some of the people uh, that have been on the show Tyson, uh, Coach, uh, you know, Steven and JT, and things like that. And I think that a lot of these, these connotations are because they, they all make a comeback in a way. They, they come back uh, for future seasons. In fact, the, the one character that stood out to me at the time, and I remember this, and the person that is standing out to me within the first four episodes on a rewatch is Taj. Mm hmm. Yep. And Taj, I love very much. And I, and I was like, I don't understand why Taj didn't come back. And that's that's a whole thing in and of itself. But, you know, with, with Coach, Coach goes through such an ordeal. And he's such an enigma on this season. Because, as you said, Mario, he's presented almost completely literal. And the problem is, is that people sort of look at this and they're like, is he making a mockery of the game? Because he's quite terrible at it. And he's trying to play it but then they're like is he jo- he's got to be joking is he joking he's not joking oh my god he's not joking no he is he's in on it no isn't he i don't know and it's this weird sort of sort of thing and 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 i think that steven you know because of his uh connection uh with rob as a podcast and, and further on things like that i think that people look back uh very very fondly on steven and i think that jt you know at the time you know earl got a nine zero victory in fiji but steven gets you know jt is going to get this win here and it's I think, as Mike said, the from from second one on JT's edit, it was so angelic and heavenly, and just you know the heavens opening up and smiling down gave us this gift of JT, and you know his legacy going forward is gonna be super fun as well. But for this one season in in token chains, he's going to be uh, basically untouchable, and and it's it's just sort of an interesting thing to watch.
0: Yeah, the one thing I want to say about Coach, and just to put this into perspective, I've been writing about Survivor for, what, 17 years now almost, and I have never experienced more pushback from my readers, ever, than when it was learned that I was going to try to make Coach a big star on my second one, Funny 115. That was the biggest pushback I've ever had. People saying... How dare you try to make that guy fun and interesting? Like I will, I will never read anything you ever write again if you try to make po- Coach positive. So, and to, to again, to keep in mind, I've taken on Russell and Russell Nation, and I got more pushback from Coach people that hated Coach than people who loved Russell. Russell. So, yeah, it's it's been quite a uh, quite a relationship he has had with the Survivor fans over the years, and I'm just happy that I was kind of right there in the middle of a lot of it.
2: Right, because well, I think that Russell is more it's more linear, right? Like like. You know, there's people that are like, wow, Russell really doesn't understand Survivor. And then there are people that are like, Russell was robbed. And it's really just this put, there's no one ever is just like, well, Russell, he's okay. Or, you know, yeah. well, Russell, you know, he, he made a mockery of the game on purpose. And so like that. With Coach, there's always that angle where you're looking at him, and you're like, this guy literally can't be real. Like, like. <laughs> His stuff can't be real. So, so then there's that. But then, but then you're like, well, maybe it is. And so with Coach, there's that third angle of is 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 he real? Is he not real? Is he openly mocking the game? Is he not mocking the game? And I think that you know, especially with Survivor fans who are uh, internet Survivor fans, you know, uh, going and and downloading hours of podcasts a week and and going to websites and reading articles and things like that. These are the diehard, you know, very very. diehard survivor base and i feel like for those diehard of fans who are consuming all of that content about this show they don't like it when somebody makes a mockery of what they love and with coach i feel like that's the question you know that they had at the time they were like is this guy mocking our game in front of us
0: yeah, and I think that's a fair question. And I think over the years people have realized he wasn't actually mocking it. He's just an eccentric dude. Like yeah. I don't think yeah. So I think people maybe that's what made people soften him him eventually, that he wasn't playing a character at all. That's just what he's like. He's just a very eccentric odd dude with odd theories about things sometimes.
1: That being said, I guess sort of segueing away from Coach, because there will be plenty of discussion of him amongst the entire season of Token Sheens. (laughs) I've been intrigued to hear from you guys. You know, we hear at the end of of Gabon that we're going back to Brazil, which we haven't been since Survivor Amazon. It seems like a very different climate. This is definitely more based in jungles uh, in uh, deserts and forests instead of, like, the little rainforest that Amazon was in. It turns out uh, this is going to be the last time they ever do a Survivor season they do two seasons within a, 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 a scheduling year, like 17 and 18, for example, are in different locations. From here on out, they'll do two seasons in a row in the same location moving forward. Were you guys excited to see it go back to Brazil considering you know, how big of a season Amazon was back in the day?
3: I love this location, and I'm glad you brought up the point when you said, uh, Mike. Not only is this kind of the last time that we spend a single season in one location, it's also the last time we are no longer going to head to an island. Like this is kind of the last frontier for being in a landlocked location, something different, something unique. I remember when this first came out, being very reminiscent of Survivor: of The Australian Outback. Um, even though we're we're in Brazil again, the river and and kind of the desert climate reminds me much more of what the contestants on season two did. So I remember it being very exciting to be going to this new place and very stunning with all the stuff we saw about it. So even though I started off this podcast dissing Token Chains, I do have to give it a lot of credit for really utilizing the location they're in. And, and they really have a cool theme with things. The fact that you have the first time we have a tribe that's wearing black, you know, buffs that isn't a merged tribe. So this is still a point in the show where they're putting a lot of time and effort into uh, the show to reflect the location it's in. So I I've loved the location.
0: Yeah, I was. This was an especially low point of my fandom, where I was only kind of half paying attention to the show. So I, I don't remember having any strong feelings one way or another about where they were going. But yeah, that's. I kind of got draw, drawn back once we got to heroes versus villains in Samoa. So this was right about the time I was starting to check out. I think.
2: Yeah, and it. it this marks the time as well. In the sense that this this is one of the last times that survivor sort of you know as Paul mentioned you know we're from here on out we 're going to islands we 're going to use the same location multiple times, and I mean hey that 's not new we've how many times have we used Panama by now um, lots so so that 's not totally totally out there, but you know you 're right survivor basically realized, well, we just need to be on water islands and do water challenges and it, not that they 're tightening their budget per se, but I think that survivor basically realized that. You know, if we change the theme and we have characters and stuff like that, the location doesn't matter as much. And this is so we're we're starting to get a focus away from location and location based things and just more about. You know, the, the game, the twists, the, the idols, the things, you know, the the, the way it goes from, from here on out. And so I think for a modern fan, if they listen, listen to this podcast, they're sitting there going like, why are you guys caring so much about the location? And it's because we did. Once upon a time, we did care about the location. I think this is one of the last times where we went somewhere super unique and, you know, it, it had the, you know and we got the intro with Jeff on the truck. And, and I mean, we're, we're going to do that. Later on and things like that, but it was very reminiscent. You know, as Paul said, the location reminds you of Survivor Australian Outback. The truck intro reminds you a little bit of Survivor Africa. I was really Mm -hmm. sad that the guy didn't yell at them to go down, down, down at the end and like point a, point a gun or whatever it was going on. You know, it was, but but it was a callback to to previous seasons and previous other locations, but somewhere new.
1: Yeah, I had a note about that. I was trying to remember. Was this the first time since? africa that they did the truck drop off i know they'll do it a couple of other times i think uh survivor worlds apart they did the truck i know one of the tribes in kagayan started off on the truck but was this the last time they had done it after africa
2: i think so and they did a one world did the truck too
3: was there a That's truck cool. in, in the you know, Olds Olds in the in the five different ways they came into china was wasn't a truck one of the like modes of transportation time right that doesn't count though. <laughs> traveling through well, time.
1: Well, speaking of going, speaking of going back in time, it's really interesting when, first of all, like Gabon, for some reason they start with this like amazing race-like CGI globe shot. I guess they like got it, the footage of it, and decided to you know get its uh, its money's worth by doing this. But then they're like, Jeff says, "Here's Brazil. It's known for its soccer and its beaches and its vibrant cities. We're not going to experience any of that because we're going into the <laughs> middle of the forest to play Survivor." <laughs>
3: Yeah, totally irrelevant.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's always a weird thing when you talk about, like, Brazil's just one of those really weird countries where, you know, you have to remember, Brazil's fucking huge, right? Like, it's a huge country, and it's got big cities on the coast, but also, you know, what, 85% of it is the Amazon? hmm so it's very weird to me, like, they're clearly not playing in a city. So he's just like, this is Brazil, known for all this city stuff. But we're going to the Amazon. It's like, just just lead with the Amazon then. Like, leave the other stuff out of it. Like, and it has nothing to do with where we're going.
0: So Jay has now dissed the Mormons and the country of Brazil. You just know, keeping I, track for you—if you guys are keeping track at home—that's
1: like seven. That's like seventy-five percent of our audience. You know, exactly. I,
2: I've, done, I've done. I've done. I've done big reports on, on the country of Brazil. I will not have it. I will not have it from you <laughs> on dissing Brazil. I just won't.
0: Is that where they found the gold tablets or something, Jay?
2: Oh my lord!
0: <laughs> All right. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we start here is a lot of people called uh, Token Teens a back-to-basics season. Yeah. And I will let you guys explain I know that, that's that's a that's a term that I know touches a nerve with Jay, but uh is this a back to basic season? this is a lot of people you hear this discussed a lot. oh they went down to sixteen people, final two it's a back to basic season. What do you guys think about that?
1: I almost feel like this is a weird like indicative statement, but uh I feel like if you consider China a back to basic season that you would consider token chains a back to basic season in that we're still in this experimental phase in Survivor. We're going to talk about a couple of starting twists here that would not exist in the first seven seasons. Maybe they throw it in in 9 and 10 when they were trying things out. But like Survivor China, I feel like it's sort of straddling between two worlds where, like Mario, uh, you said the, the skeletal structure of it is very similar. 16 people, two tribes of eight. No swaps. Merge at 10. Jury at 9. One of the last times there's a final two in Survivor history. So that's all there. At the same time, you still have the idols. You have Exile Island. You have these twists where you can swap tribes. We have this... Very new editing style that I'm sure we're going to talk about, where there's a lot of focus on a few people instead of maybe all around more egalitarian like it would be in previous seasons. So I, I would say that it w- I would consider it a back to basic season if you would consider China a back to basic season.
2: Yeah, I consider this almost in a way that not not that they actually did this, and I don't. I'm not suggesting that they did, but in a way, I consider it. This is this is the the last cast off. In a way of 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 the survivor producers and editors basically saying, yeah, see, you remember how we did it at the beginning? It does it, it it won't work that way anymore, and so they sort of did a thing where they gave the classic structure, like you said, start at sixteen, merge at ten, have a final two, you know, have you know the the very traditional sort of. Uh, thing that way with no swaps, but then adding in a bunch of the modern twists and basically going see see what happened. Dude one seven zero seven zero. It's done. We're done. We're done with that. We're now going on and moving to, to new things. So, you know, I think when people go, yeah, you know, token chains back to basics because. You know, they had started with less tribes and then they merged at 10 and and stuff like that. But it's like, look at all the other stuff that they had in there as well. It was like they were basically saying, let's see if we can do a traditional format with the new stuff. Nope, don't like it. Let's just keep going to the final three and 20 people and, you know, tribe swaps, every, you know, all the stuff. So so I I think it was, you know, one of those split the difference type things.
0: Yeah, it's funny to me because we people don't know this, but we get a lot of emails from people uh, conspiracy theories, people's odd theories about Survivor, Survivor history, things that happened, things that the producers did, things the producers didn't do. And one of my favorites we got recently was, and I forget who it is. I know I'm I'm horrible. I'm I'm gonna leave some not give somebody credit for this, but he wrote that I always thought that token teens was like uh, the producers' reaction to the fans bitching that Survivor needs to go back to the basics. That's basically what Jay said. That, but he even said that the producers basically said, okay, we're gonna do it like that. We're just not going to put as much effort into it. It's going to be a shitty season. We're not going to sell it the way we normally would sell a season. And then that's our our justification for not doing it that way anymore. So they, all, they that was his conspiracy theory, that this is the producers basically middle finger to the fans that wanted it back to the original style.
1: Which I don't yeah. know if that's true
0: or not, but again, uh, we get fun emails.
2: I don't think so. You know, I, I think that they, they legitimately just tried, you know, because... With, with, with the evolution of the game, as far as, you know, uh, the way the players think about the game and, and the way the players play the game, you always have to adjust. And I always feel like, you know, in a one way, it's a nice curveball. If, you, if you're basically, you know, if the players are watching all these previous seasons, Micronesia and things like that, they're expecting swaps. They're expecting all of these things and to basically throw a season at them where there are no swaps. And, you know, you start with 16, like that was new. They were thinking 18 or 20 and things like that. So going back to original numbers is actually a bit of a curveball. And I think that part of, you know, a good Survivor season is to keep the players on their toes because I feel like a lot of seasons that we complain about are seasons where somebody just utterly dominates the season. Uh, I always hate to go back to it, but uh, take a look at Survivor One World as an example. Like Kim played a brilliant game and the the season plays but, – but the way that season plays out, that structure had been happening for a while where, you know, you have tribes, uh, two tribes, and, you know uh, – it's going to be a final three and so they they realized you know that once you get your starting tribe you need to have uh an alliance of five and then a sub alliance of three and it's like they had sort of figured out these numbers by then so then you could see in that in that game that they're already trying to figure out their final three and their their their, their five group and you know all that sort of stuff you, you can see people sort of you know and, and that's what happened in the the at the beginning of survivor when they figured out it was you know, you merge at 10, you know, like in Survivor Australia, where they knew that the tie vote would come down to previous votes cast. It's like you try to game the game because you know how the game's going to go. So Survivor producers, I feel like, are always trying to, like, keep everyone on your toes. Like, this is going to be different. You don't know what's going to go on. You don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like in a weird way, just them basically saying, all right, we're going to start with this many people and merge at 10 and go jury at nine and have a final two is a curveball.
3: Yeah, I, um, you know, Mauro, your theory there that you read out about maybe this was them kind of just trying to sabotage and just show them, OK, well, here's what you get when you get that hat, when, when we do this. I, I didn't think that was a possibility. But then when I think about the fact that Mike Barassi was almost on this cast, too, I, I think maybe they were trying to sabotage the season.
1: <laughs> Mike Barassi and Abby Maria. <laughs> wow.
0: Abby versus yeah. Coach would have been fun. I would have liked to see that. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I mean, I I and but I also feel in a lot of ways like, you know, we sit here and we've talked about how, you know, oh, you know, if only the game could stay the same, but it's like the game can't stay the same. It's going to get stale. It's going to get boring. If they kept Survivor the way it was from the first season, you know, and and this is me, a purist. You guys know me by now. This is this is not something new, but if they kept the game just the same format each time, it would have gone off the air by now. Like they have to change it up they have to switch things you know the game evolves and then not only that if you're a producer and you've made new things like a hidden immunity idol and you know having a final 3 and having you know exile island and you know all that sort of stuff aren't you more excited for those sorts of changes like it's not just be like hey let's do the same thing every year like if you're a television producer and you're trying to get ratings and you're trying to keep things fresh aren't you going to be more excited for changes so you know you can say oh they they phoned it in or didn't want to do anything but it's like you know, going back to something that you did, you know, eight, nine years ago, that's not as exciting as going forward, I suppose.
1: That being said, we are gonna see some emerging gameplay here. I mean, we are gonna talk be talking about what I might consider the biggest case of blue balls in survivor history, which is the Exile Alliance that never actually comes yes, to do anything. Yes, um yes, um yes, but, I agree. But, but that's an example of like them utilizing this new twist of Exile Island of it's not exactly new. They sent two people there from each tribe. Uh, in Survivor Micronesia but here's a time when they actually say okay let's work together let's start this cross-tribal alliance even though we're not going to be mingling whatsoever so that's a fun example of like you said Jay of you know maybe they're sort of the producers feel like they're providing fodder for the castaways to sort of use to their own advantage in a way this just happens to be an example of something that even in this first four episodes we're gonna get a lot of build up on and like you said jay we're gonna see a lot of Taj in these first few episodes it's primarily around the exile alliance and what's going to happen later on in the season is once that falls apart and brendan goes home Taj kind of disappears for a few episodes
0: yeah i'm amazed watching these episodes what a major character she is at the start of the season i'm like what happens like no one even remembers her unless you're like a diehard fan these days it's kind of interesting all right.
2: But I think that goes into, like we were talking about, just the, the new style edit where we're going to focus on a bunch of people and not focus on others. And then I think the problem with that is that Taj is somebody uh, – like you say, Mike, she, she disappears for a while. But I would say that Taj is one of the top five or six people that are focused on in this season. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, because of the legacy of Steven Fishback, because of JT, and because of Tyson and Coach and the legacies they forged, and they were the ones that come back – Taj does not come back and play this game as of, you know, the the recording of this podcast. Taj has not come back. And it's like I feel like that's the whole thing with the returning tribes and with this uh, mismatched edit. Even somebody who's focused like Taj, sort of like Kenny was last season with Gabon. It's like, you know, Kenny's Kenny's person. You talk about him every once in a while. But Kenny is not somebody when people talk about like Survivor Legends and Gabon and that, I feel like Kenny sort of gets dumped by the wayside a little bit as Taj in this season is going to get dumped by the wayside a little bit.
0: All right. So we ready to delve into token teen slash genes?
2: Iron sharpens iron.
0: I know. That's the thing see that the game evolves here too. Cause this is the season where iron starts sharpening iron. All right. So you guys remember when coach talked about the Amazon story, and how his pygmies, how the pygmies came in and ate his ass. You remember that? Good night, everybody. Oh, that was a hoax, right? <laughs>
2: oh, the Chris Farley show reference.
0: <laughs> exactly. All right. So here we go. I'm, All kidding aside, we are about to delve into the season that is, uh, I know this is going to piss off Jay, but it's a, a season that's delicious to the taste and very desirable so here we go fig- episode one I
2: figure, we're, I figure we're gonna talk a lot in episodes one and two because these are not super coach heavy and then you know once we get to about episode three mario just just take it away at that point <laughs> just go
1: i actually really <laughs> I, I know mario you were saying in your lead up to this that you were like yeah i'm not really getting into it the first two episodes it's only once coach becomes coach in episode three that we really uh you really start developing some positivity towards this i actually really like this premiere based around these first impressions. I think there are a lot of fun moments and we get to see Carolina fall face first into a blind side. Uh, I think it's a really fun premiere overall. So I'm excited to talk about it.
2: Yeah, this is interesting. I, I've got a, a I don't want to, I should probably talk about this later. probably when we get to the first tribal council, but I guess I'll go with it now. I felt like this, this first episode, at least like, I know that, you know, things happen out there and people get slighted and and things like that. And especially with Sandy and Sierra with this first vote. But I feel like for the most part, this premiere, everyone is like not like super seriously playing. But I feel like all of these people in this premiere are all like not really getting personally invested in this season yet for the first three days. Like they're just sort of, you know, being very aloof as as a cast. You know, they're just like, all right, we're out here. Okay, we're going to make this thing. And it's like. It's as you know, people use the phrase "game bot," and I think that's because they they like people that you know do all of these sorts of moves and think about all of the possible outcomes of a vote without getting emotionally involved in it. And I think that this is as close to it as we get. This this the start of of token chains. Is the players are all just taking it in, and I feel like they don't get super emotionally invested for the most part until a little bit later in.
3: Maybe they're aloof because this is the first time I believe that they're kind of dressed by color. So they're just oh kind boy. of falling into that. This is, the first, so, this is the first one? I think so, right?
0: I would trust your judgment. You're 16, Paul 15, 14,
3: 13. Yeah, this is the first time you really... The, t- the Timbira tribe is really wearing a lot of, like, dark colors, like, dark blues, and to kind of go along with the black, and Jalapao is very, like, bright orange and red heavy. Yeah, it's it's not one color, but it's it's a scheme. Yeah, I'm just right.
1: trying, trying to remember it. Yeah, this might be the first time, because it's sort of become a modern conventionality now that, like people are that are on the same tribe usually wear colors that are closely associated with their tribe just so there's fun little matchy matches and the promotional pictures come out nice but this might be the first time i remember that like the internet in preseason pictures was like oh wow like they look like an advertisement for the color red they look like you know an ll bean catalog advertising the dark collection uh, so it's it's become a thing that's really become fervent in modern survivor seasons but this might be the first time that outright they're wearing color specifically associated with the color of their buffs. You, you guys are so lucky you well? have
3: me. Do you think that do you think that
2: tested well? Like do, do like I'm trying to figure out the 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 logistics of that, right? Like, you know, having having Jalapao be in reddish tones and having Timbira be in, you know, uh, blues and blacks and stuff like that. Like does that, you know, does the audience you already like when you when you switch tribes, you get the little you know you get the little phrase Jalapow like on your on your uh, screen, and you can see you know that people are wearing buffs. You can you can usually tell which camp is which. But did yeah. somebody not like? W- did someone basically you know? It would be great is if they all on the tribe wore like the same color.
1: Oh yeah, did they got they got JT in the booth? I'm assuming is that what your impression <laughs> was. <laughs>
3: Well, one thing I've kind of wondered about, so you see that this color scheming really picks up here, 18, 19, 20, and these are going to be three seasons that we're going to go in a row without having um, a tribe shuffle, And I'm wondering if this is coming on after Gabon, where it really was like shuffle, shuffle, can't keep track of where anyone is, if there maybe was a push for them to really try to bond these tribes and kind of get back to that old school, like one tribe dominates that kind of mentality. And I, I have nothing to back that up, but I wonder if that had something to do with it, because you wouldn't think you would go towards this color scheme if you knew they were going to be shuffled up in episode four.
0: All right. So do you guys remember when they were coming in on the truck? Kobe, no. Okay, never mind. So we start uh, Survivor eighteen, uh, token teams, and we start with the two tr- or the one truck. They're two trucks. Two trucks coming in, and you got all the hallopows on one tribe, all the timburas on no. the other.
2: No no, they're the same truck. No, nope, they're sitting
0: across next- from each other.
2: One Just one truck.
0: All right. I was right, I was correct the first time, thank two you.
2: Two tribe two all tribes right, yeah,
0: one, so two tribes, one truck. And I guess the twist would make more sense if I'd remembered that. Now I get it, that they have to grab the supply. Okay, so they get in, and there's a lot of little uh, overdubs at the start where the players are making first impressions on one another. And this is, I have to say, one of my favorite jokes to start off a season right off the bat. You guys know which one I'm talking about, right? The Tyson one?
1: Yeah, so Aaron, so Aaron yeah. gives her first impression of Tyson when she's like, yeah, tall, spiky-haired model boy, love him. He just seems like a good guy to have around. And then it immediately cuts to... Tyson with his deadpan being, like, the younger brunette. She comes off to me, like, kind of a bitch. Uh, and we get, we get you know, follow-ups <laughs> with, like, Steven and Sandy talking crap about each other, too. But, like, that's the perfect one. And it's also a perfect setup of Tyson's style of humor, which is not only to be, like, completely dry, but be dry and berating at the same time. <laughs>
0: Tyson reminds me and again we're going to talk about Tyson so much he reminds me so much of a guy I I was roommates with in college this guy named Jason Jason had a way of talking to someone and as he was talking to them it sounds like he's being super friendly but he's actually making fun of them to their face and it's just the meanest way of doing it but he's really sneaky and like everyone around can get the joke and they're all laughing but the person he's talking to doesn't have any idea they're being made fun of that to me is Tyson in a nutshell yeah all right, it's, so here we go. Yeah, so that, I,
2: I I can't describe it. We're, we're going to get more into Tyson. There, there's lots of Tyson.
0: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so uh, Stephen says, uh, yeah, Sandy's here. She looks like she's going to be on my tribe. It's good for her to have her around because she's old, which means I won't be the first one gone because old people go first. And then they cut to Sandy, and she's like, Stephen is a geek. <laughs> and I'd forgotten what a big character Sandy is these first couple episodes. <laughs> she's pretty big, too. She dominates. She's
1: incredible.
0: And it does make it does remind me that's a the demographic they should go back to more on the show the crazy insane bus driver. All right, so yeah, so uh, what else is happening here at the start? We have Sierra, she informs us she's got, uh, what, strep throat or bad tonsils, so she's kind of sick and she's, even on the drive into camp she doesn't look like she's doing well and the other players are noticing this and this will haunt her pretty much the entire game.
3: I, I love when, if you watch carefully, I hadn't really noticed this before as Jeff Probst is standing up and he's saying his whole 39 days, 16 people whatever, Sierra's right on the end she's like hunched over, like looks like she's about to like hurl, like as he's saying his epic thing, so I I love the like subtle storyline in this first episode about how sick she is and how she like keeps bringing it up again and again and again like she even ruins the opening uh shot from Jeff.
1: It's interesting. <laughs> I wonder cuz they usually have alternates out there just in case something should happen, especially after the Melissa McNulty incident. Do you think that the doctors just thought, like, okay, she'll clear up eventually, we'll let her go? Or do you think, like, no alternates were available? I'm, even at the time, I was pretty surprised that they sent someone into the game knowing they were sick from the very start.
3: Well, that's I mean... That's I
1: think, odd, logistically.
3: Well, I mean, what, we, what I alluded to before was the fact that Mike Bar- Barassi was on location and Spencer was out there on location and stepped in as Mike Barassi's alternate it leads me to believe that there would, that there was... A woman out there that maybe could have stepped in, but for some reason they they thought Sierra could get through there. You know, put her on antibiotics; she'll be fine in a couple of days. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, I don't I don't know if she actually had strep or if she's saying she had strep or 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 whatever it was. Right. But if if she if she knew she had strep because she was diagnosed with it by a doctor or something like that, yeah, they just give her antibiotics because you know people have started sick before, and it's unfortunate because a lot of times when somebody starts sick they never recover because they start They start the game and they're not doing well, and they don't... You know, in those early days when you're, you know, doing a lot of the labor, like building shelters and things like that, usually you usually have to take breaks a lot, or, you know, you can't lift as much or or, or something like that. But, you know, people start the game sick. Sick happens. It's, it's a matter of getting anxiety and not wanting to go out there. That's another problem.
0: All right, so here's the first twist in the season. The truck parks, and Jeff says, welcome to Survivor, blah, 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 and he introduces them, and he says... I forget how much time he gives that
1: 60 seconds,
0: 60 seconds. Yeah. The 60 seconds and everything you need to set up your camp is on this truck. So 60 seconds, start grabbing what you need, go. And basically that's the first, uh, first time the game begins where they just start grabbing stuff. And we will, of course, coach will take credit for this later that he told everyone what to do with his eyes, which is the legend of coach right there. But yeah, so it's a fun little chaotic scramble, right? The start where everyone's grabbing stuff. And this is something I actually didn't remember, but you know, they finish all this and, and Jalapau, Jalapau, why do I keep saying Jalapau? Jalapao has grabbed no water and no food at the end of this, and Tambir has grabbed everything thanks to Coach's eye leadership. So right off the bat, we have it's almost kind of the Pearl Islands here with the season one season did all his wise things at the beginning, and then the Jalapaos, which, oh, you idiot, you didn't get anything you needed. So it's that's kind of the storyline they're going to present right at the start here.
1: It's a really interesting dynamic over these first four episodes, because again, looking back over the optics of this season... We're going to know that the Jollapows are going to be down at the merge, even more so after they lose Joe. You know, they'll be down six to three at the final nine. But starting off, like you said, they're at a disadvantage. They're almost like the have nots in this case. They lose the first immunity challenge, but in episodes two and three, they are super dominant. And almost, you know, you think Timbira is almost like the Kasaya, and that, like, this is a truly dysfunctional tribe that won't be able to amount to anything. But like Kasaya, they end up crushing Jalapao in episodes four through six. So it's a really weird dynamic where, like, first you think Jalapao is outmatched, but then Jalapao ends up not only matching them but overwhelming Timbira, but then Timbira makes a big comeback and ultimately comes out on top. It's much less one-sided than we initially think when looking back.
0: I'm actually really glad you compared compared uh, Timbira to Kasaya there, because this will not be the last time that I'm going to compare Jalapao to Lamina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, yeah, they, they got all their supplies and Jalapao's the idiots that didn't grab any food or water. And then this is where Jeff says, OK, we are going to do our first vote right now. He says, uh, and of course, he words it very carefully. You, have a, you guys have a four-hour trek to your camp. You're going to have to start marching, carrying all your supplies. But one person will not make that trek. Sabira voting for Sierra, the sick girl who has already passed out in the corner of the truck behind Jeff over uh, Aaron. And then Jalapao votes for Sandy basically just because she's old. And she's pissed.
1: As she will say many, many times, I forgot, like, I thought this was a fun little moment. I forgot that Sandy turned it into a catchphrase over the course of her four-episode stint in Token Chains.
0: Well, it's funny because later in episode four, I think they say, Sandy's annoying. She always repeats the same thing over and over again, <laughs> which is funny because there she go. You just she gave herself a catchphrase.
3: Yeah, and Sierra's uh, catchphrase was, yeah, well, I have strep throat. That's yeah, like her first reaction to when she gets picked. I, I love, I love that
2: when you know she's the votes are coming to her and she just goes, "Yeah, well, I have strep throat, guys, but, but it's cool."
3: And I'm just like, "What? Why say that? Why? Why are you saying that?" Like that she kind of like stutters over herself, like, "Yeah, and I have a, f- a fever too."
1: Guys, you seem to imply that Sierra is not a very good Survivor player. I don't know where you got that <laughs> impression from.
3: Yeah, It's
0: almost as if she might not fit in with people later. All right, but I do have to ask this, Paul. I'm sure you have thoughts on the poor
3: old person being singled out right off the bat, the old woman. Well, I mean, my inner, you know, child that goes way back to being very sad for, you know, old people getting singled out and and voted out early does make me sad. I was a huge Sandy fan. But one thing I thought like, was so stupid about this whole thing is I thought they really could have had an opportunity to pull the wool over our eyes or fool the contestants more. Had they like d- had you done this twist with a larger cast, like there's no way you actually are booting out the first two people in your tries was 16 people, like anyone who actually fell for that. Like, I mean, there's just no way you can go from 16 to 14 people in the first couple minutes of the day. So um, I'm like so-so on that twist, you know, what they end up doing with it. But I feel like it would have been way more fun if it was a larger cast and you actually thought that, oh, my God, they actually are going to vote people out like they did with, you know, Wanda and Jonathan. So a real missed opportunity here.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, Paul would have also liked the twist more if they'd actually pushed Sandy out of the truck so she would have fallen down as well.
3: I mean, come on. There's some awesome sand dunes there just to see her kind of roll for a while. But she kind of looked like she did roll through some sand dunes. How dirty she was already (laughs) off right off the bat. So I like to pretend she did. Sandy on the sand dunes. It's perfect. That's right that's right but you know jeff Probst really was in the i watched the tv guide you know me and renee got together and pulled up some tapes we watched the tv guide preview of this season which by the way sugar sugar hosted it way better host than uh uh parvati i was like oh this is good did they get some professional doing this and i was like oh that's sugar um but you know I, we i made fun of parvati last time who hosted it in the uh The L.A. Zoo, they got even more, they got even closer to the wild, this one. They went to the Rainforest Cafe in (laughs) Anaheim, California. So you just have like sugar moving around the Rainforest Cafe standing in front of different fish tanks.
1: I'm pr- I'm pretty sure that they just grabbed sugar off of her afternoon shift at the Rainforest Cafe to film this special. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
3: yeah, they weren't very busy. She was just the hostess, so they you know they grabbed her. and said, hey, can you can you read off these lines? But um, in this in that very tacky TV Guide preview, Jeff Probst is already talking about this twist they're going to have. How it's all about first impressions. That's really something they're really going to play off in this first episode.
0: Yep. Also, to be fair, Anaheim is known as the token teens of Orange County, so that kind of makes sense. Our California yeah. listeners will appreciate that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh so right boy. down Catella. Right down Catella. All right. So anyway, yeah. So the two people that were voted out, Sandy and Sierra, obviously they're not out of the game. Jeff says, well, you know, this. you have an opportunity here. You will get to go fly to your camp. You don't have to take the trek with everyone else. You'll get a helicopter ride. And uh, I forget if he tells them they have an important choice once they get there. But they, when they get there, there's this whole thing. They're going to have a choice to make. They can either go look for the idol or they can set up camp. Do you want to do something for yourself or do something for your tribe so this well, is a cool it, little thing and so and, and, off, and, off sierra and San Diego. yeah uh, jeff probes dick moment
1: yep. in, in a way yes
0: like dick 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 dick
2: thank yes. you jeff, god d- yeah jeff probes dick moment because you know first of all they have this vote and and you're right you're right paul in the sense that like if, if you're doing the math out there you're like if we're starting with 16 there's no way that they're voting two people out and we're gonna have 39 days with 14 people like OK, you, you could you could sit here and think and do that math. But if you're in the moment and that's the thing we're watching at home, we're watching a clip we're we're objectively doing the show, uh, you know, through through our own lens. But it's like when you're out there, you know, in the heat, in the moment on Survivor doing it, I'm sure that, you know, you're getting caught up in everything. So you have this boat and then Sandy is voted out. I mean, she's upset because she's like, I'm out. I'm, I'm game just started and I'm already out of the game. And like she's super mad. And then, you know, Jeff's just like, well. You're not out of the game. And she's like, oh, thank you. And they're just like, they, I wouldn't be celebrating if I were you. And it's like, yeah, I would. I thought I was eliminated, but I'm not. You know what I mean? But then he gives the whole, you know, well, you were singled out by your tribe. You have a lot of making up to do, Sandy. <laughs> he, tells,
3: he tells her, um, this is a game about social integration. Smiles is not what I'd be doing. Same. And I watched, I was, as I was re watching the show earlier this week, I had a friend staying with us. He's actually from Norway and like very little survivor knowledge at all. And he was like just laughing his ass off at this scene because as, you know, Jeff's going on this huge spiel about what she should be doing and what she should be thinking about, um, Sandy just kind of has this shit eating grit, grit on her face. Like she's just kind of like smiling and nodding. And my friend's like, oh, all she cares about is that helicopter. She's like, helicopter. Yeah, yeah, helicopter. helicopter. Helicopter, helicopter,
1: helicopter. Uh, Now, I'm trying to remember, was this the first season that Jeff was officially an executive producer, or was that during Gabon as well?
3: That's a good question. I'm not sure. What? We stumped Paul?
1: It was definitely around this time that he became executive producer. So I wonder if we could see, like, a marked shift in his tone. I mean, there have been Jeff Probestick moments in the past, as Jay has alluded to, but I wonder if he, like, sufficiently changes the way he handles his role on the show now that he's officially signed on as an executive producer after that period not so long ago when maybe he was uh, ready to say goodbye to Survivor?
0: That's well, an excellent question. Someone will have to look that up. I maybe. nominate Paul. So anyway, to look they, that up.
2: <laughs> so they, uh, Sandy and Sierra get helicoptered over to their camps and they skip the four-ish hour trek uh, that, that we'll get into. But when Sandy and Sierra arrive at their camp, they are greeted with uh, a cup, like a pot of, and basically a note. And the note basically says, hey, we gave you some crap. Uh, you can uh, set up your camp maybe while the people are hiking here. Or here's a clear clue to the immunity idol. You can start digging.
0: Yeah. And Sandy's note, wasn't there a little fine print at the bottom? It said, this is social integration, you moron. So Sandy. Print. Yeah,
1: Sandy. Hope you fall out, Sandy Crater. Uh-huh, 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 stick, uh-huh, yeah, stick, stick, uh-huh.
3: <laughs> stick, yeah, huh All right, we'll get to all that
0: in a minute, but first we've got to have all these interactions with all the players. This is where we get our introduction to everybody.
1: So so we, get, we start with Jalapao, and we get our introduction to, you know, we had Frosty in Survivor China, and we knew how big of a hit Frosty was, so let's get someone <laughs> even younger, bring on Spencer Dumb Doom, I don't know how you pronounce it, but 19 years old, the youngest Survivor contestant at the time.
0: Dum 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 dum. Yep. That's, wow. Uh, well, there we got you. You, you got. Oh. Oh man. Although I, feel <laughs> I was like, waiting for that one. Yeah. Okay.
2: Although I feel like you know, with with Spencer's uh uh you know thing, it, it's nice and all that he's officially the youngest Survivor contestant ever there, but like that's that that was basically his contribution to the opening episode of Survivor, and it's like it's never a good sign for you when uh your your confessional is. I'm uh I'm 19 years old.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think most for Survivor fans remember Spencer? I'd say it's like maybe three percent even remember who this guy was. And it's he seems like a nice enough guy. But yeah, he almost has no impact in the season whatsoever. And then he'll be replaced by a much more popular Spencer a couple seasons down the road. But yeah, he's that, again, like Mike said, it's a big deal that they pointed out in the episode that Spencer is the youngest player in Survivor history.
1: Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Mario. Is that Not only are we going to have, like, the superfan archetype, especially nowadays in Survivor, become much more popular with more successful players. But there is literally a young superfan player named Spencer who's going to take his spot ten seasons from now and becomes a fan favorite. So it's one thing to get usurped by another archetype. It's another thing to get usurped by another archetype who has the exact same name as you.
0: You When your doppelganger steals your thunder. Yes. So poor Spencer. We learn about him. We learn about JT, who says, I'm 24. I manage a uh, black Angus cattle ranch. And this is where we get a famous scene where Stevens there, and Stevens like, you know, I'm a neurotic New York Jew, and there's this country boy, JT. I don't think we're going to get along. We're too different. And this will become very, very important down the road. Again, at the time, this was the storyline of Token teens. I don't know if people remember that, that. It was a big deal that, first, they don't get along, but they will get along later.
1: Also, Stevens' ass on his pants rips for some reason i don't know in the 60 seconds they were plundering the truck how that happened but for some reason the entire seat of his pants just completely ripped out
0: I and mean, totally fitting with his archetype as the nerd out there yes steven has managed to rip his pants in the first 5 minutes of the game yes
2: wait it's really funny when you when you think about steven because steven it's tough to talk about him because he's become such a personality and things like that. But you know, you always have to remember that Stephen really struggled with the physical and survival aspects out there. I mean, hey, he lasted all the time. I mean, kudos to him. I don't think I could do that. But uh, you know, when he when he when he makes his return many many seasons later, and you know, you you see those things where like Stephen ineptly trying to use a hatchet, Stephen ineptly trying to do things here, and it's like episode one, we have Stephen has completely ripped out the ass of his pants. <laughs>
0: that's great it's a wonderful start to a survivor career all right who else do we meet we meet jerry here who says he's a u.s army sergeant uh who else we meet uh we meet coach oh there's a guy named coach here he's not gonna tell anyone
2: jerry is not gonna tell anyone because you know good good for you jerry you keep that in your back pocket
0: (laughs) jerry will be just as relevant to the season as Spencer. it'll be fantastic we'll get a whole lot of these
3: characters
2: well, it's, right, it's, like, and yeah, it's now, like Willard pull Palau. It's like, I'm not going to tell him. I'm a successful lawyer judge guy. It's like, yeah, you, you you go. You do that, buddy. Go for it. Yeah. All
0: right. And now, Coach, who, how did they describe him at the
2: start? I tried I mean, to delay man. it. I tried to delay it. Ugh.
1: Yeah, Coach is we got a to the good stuff. He's a Renaissance man adventurer, and he outlines his dual career roles right at the top here uh he you know he he daylights as a university soccer coach and essentially nightlights as a conductor slash artistic director of a symphony in northern california
0: (laughs) and to be fair i mean we're gonna give coach so much shit here but he is a fantastically successful soccer coach you should read up on some of the stuff he's achieved with that team over the years i think they're like national champions even right now as we speak this or something like that he's like he's he is a really good coach in real life and that might be the last compliment we're going to give here <laughs> bearing coach with shit here. okay, so here we go. So coach is going to give us his theory here that uh, I'm here to change this game. you know, survivor's been too staid over these years. it's been kind of it's stuck to the same formula, but we're going to make it this season where only the strong survive that he wants iron to sharpen iron and he prays. all he prays for in this game is an opponent that's worthy to defeat him. So this is coach's thing he's going to change the game.
1: he specifically hearkens upon quote unquote our ancestors including the native americans the vikings and the samurai you know the shared ancestors among all of us including coach
3: <laughs>
0: yes I sort of
3: like so anyway so that we have I,
2: I like the fact that like all modern people are descended from native americans vikings or samurai <laughs>
0: yes <laughs> and like- dragons you forgot
1: dragons
2: You know, there's more, there's more, there's more ancient civilizations. Well, I
1: don't remember them. Well, they did not (laughs) fight valiantly.
0: (laughs) Coach, as a a character, he's like, in Dungeons and Dragons, I'm gonna go full nerd here, but in Dungeons and Dragons, there's someone who wants to multiclass, and like, I have a character who's a fighter slash druid slash uh, mage slash thief slash archer. Like, they just can't decide on one thing. That's kind of Coach and Survivor here. It's like, you can't really specify what he is because he's way too many classes all at once.
1: Coach is the guy that you, that you play d d with who's like, okay, you see a spider in a tree, and Coach says, I, I swing around the tree, and I stab the spider from up, and then I do a backflip in the air, and he rolls, like, a two in acrobatics check and completely fails every time. That's who Coach is.
0: <laughs> Critical fail. <laughs>
2: right, because he, he's got so many classes that he, like, doesn't have any, like, particular skills. Yes. So it's just like... Yeah, you just like oh, you see a spider in the dungeon. What do you do? I uh, oh god, should I shoot it with my arrow or should I do the things? And it's like, well, it's none none of it's going to hit for much damage. So just whatever you want to, just shout
0: at it. That's fine. Kill it with my eyes. All right, so here we have a conversation here at the start of the season with Coach and Brendan of all season. Coach and Brendan are going to have a fun relationship through the season. But uh, this is where he, hey, he tells Brendan, basically, you're the strongest one here. I'm the strongest one. I want you to go with me to the end because I, I need someone strong that we can conquer this game together. So they're going to have a very interesting relationship as uh, basically Dragon Slayer and Dragon as the season goes along here. All right, so now we get to camp. Now we can talk about what Jay alluded to earlier where uh, Sandy and Sierra both get a little dilemma. Do you want to go look for the idol or do you want to ingratiate yourself with the tribe and start building the shelter?
1: And I love... I think Paul your theory about like Sandy almost being like some sort of golden retriever that's just distracted by the first thing on her mind totally comes into play here where like Sandy's just glossing over most of the words. She doesn't even remember the name of her tribe. She's like you have a choice. You can choose to set up your camp for jalapeno or I, I don't I don't remember how to say it. It's just and then she again like Mario said she repeats things. She brings up that jalapeno line once her tribe actually gets back to camp as if this is Jeff's lines are echoing in her head of like, endear yourself to them. And so she thought like, let me pull out my jalapeno line. That's certainly going <laughs> to get them on my side.
3: Uh, I love everything you said. My favorite part about this is both Sandy and when we, when we get to Sierra, as they're reading it, there's a certain line that just evokes like a, a small response from both of them. And it's the line about, your tribe chose to leave you behind, and Sandy just kind of stops and looks off to the side with a dirty look. And eventually, when Sierra does it, Sierra just kind of mumbles, "Thanks a lot." And I just love how that, like, same line. Like, they each had to say something at that line. <laughs> it's it's funny
2: though the choice, like, when you think about it, because you know this, this is not you know they've they've had other things. Like, I remember in uh, uh Worlds Apart, you know, there was there was a thing at the beginning with with people who got to their camp first and, and, and whatnot. But like with this one, this is, they literally have set out shelter building supplies, like palm fronds and some wood and twine and things like that. And they're basically like, well, you can get started or you can dig for the, or try to dig for the hidden immunity idol. And, you know, Sandy chooses to go look for the idol and does no work around camp. And Sierra actually makes the other choice. She's like, well, you know what? This may be stupid, but I'm going to go and build a shelter. And I don't necessarily know what's correct, but what I love, what I absolutely love, is that both of them were incorrect to the tribe that came <laughs> to them, which I think is great.
1: I also uh, – this also should be important to point out that – Brendan's going to point this out in a couple of episodes. The idol that, they're, that they would be able to search for – is not the hidden immunity idol. For the third season in a row, we have this weird idol that can only be played at the first tribal council you'll attend. I feel like they only maybe do this one or two more times, but it's so interesting in reviewing seasons 16 through 18 in a row that all three of those seasons start start off with this twist where one person from each tribe has a chance to get guaranteed immunity at their first tribal council, and that's it.
2: Yeah. But we don't necessarily know that, but... You know, it's funny because Sandy says she's gonna go look for the idol, and it's funny because we're gonna get idol searching in the next episode or so. And it's you know starts with oh, you know, there's find the stick, a big stick in the middle of the of the of your biggest beach, and get going. Like, do does Sandy even get to that stick in this episode?
1: No. Oh no, she she gets to the stick in the episode. It's it's later on when they go back to camp that she like digs up the stick, and that's when the whole paste thing comes about. But I don't believe she even found the stick before right. her tribe came back.
2: Right. So so I don't know how long it took, but it clearly uh, it clearly took a while for for them to get there. You could see with the with the with the timestamp. I mean, Timbira gets there like in the dark per se, but Jolifael gets there sort of as as it's dusk, but they were out there i mean jeff says it's a 4 hour hike was it 4 hours i don't know it was but it was it was time it was time and sandy's like i'm i'm not going to do any work i'm going to go look for the idol and the thing is is that when her tribe gets there and we'll talk about it when her tribe gets there but they're all basically like wow sandy you didn't get started on the shelter way to go and you're like well yeah she was looking for the idol but did she even find the stick in the in in the sand like what were you doing well you know
0: like a good comedian will craft a joke for years to perfect it maybe she spent the first two hours perfecting the jalapeno
1: joke
2: yep (laughs) she's like no no making sure it would be perfect for them that can't be right i i I gotta i gotta i gotta gotta workshop this
1: (laughs) y'all never noticed that our tribe sounds like jalapeno (laughs) you know it's still funny it still kills
0: (laughs) it's like the aristocrats
2: right so then Sierra makes the choice, you know, Sierra makes the choice to, to not dig for the idol. She has the clue so she can go at any time. But she's like, I'm going to go get started on the shelter, which I think probably is the smarter choice when you think about it. But at the same time, she gets there and then her tribe's just basically like, yeah, she did some work, but she still sucks. <laughs>
0: Well yeah, in her defense, she it's possible she could have got germs all over the shelter and infected everyone and made them sick as revenge. So Welcome perhaps that was her strategy.
2: Welcome to strip Land.
1: Yeah, she's yeah, she yes. actually she's actually built a giant quarantine center for her entire tribe.
0: <laughs> this is the strep shack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, see see Sierra's building her quarantine. We're like in a stand here at this point. All right. So uh The one note I want to point out here is I'm watching this episode with my wife, and we get to the scene kind of where where Jollipow arrives, and Carolina, Carolina, starts talking in that squeaky, annoying voice. And my wife has a visceral reaction. She's like, what the hell is that? Who is that? I've never seen that person on Survivor. I have never heard that voice before. And I'm like, I don't even remember this Carolina. So I just wanted to point out how annoying
1: she is in the one episode she's last. I feel like Paul has an opinion on Carolina. I'm really intrigued to hear his thoughts on her.
3: I she I'm actually pretty indifferent to her. What I think is most interesting about her is in some of my preseason prep, I also watched Jeff Probst's cast assessment, and it was funny because he talks so much about first impressions. He has some pretty good first impressions with a lot of people on this cast. He really, you know, the people he says are going to be gone soon, or who he really fears for, a uh, Candace, Sandy, Spencer. But then he's very, very high on Carolina and just really thinks she's a tough cookie and she's going to get the job done and stuff. So I don't know where that went wrong because I think much like Mario's wife, the minute she starts talking, you're like, oh, honey, this is not going to be a very long game for you.
0: Yeah. All right. So speaking of that, we're going to day two here. It's kind of nightfall. All the tribes have arrived and they kind of have to work through the night and stuff. And so we get to day two and it immediately starts off on Jalapao with... Carolina being
3: bossy and telling everyone what to do, and her squeaky little voice. Well, she like, said oh in the preseason... my God. In the preseason said her strategy is going to be just to put her head down and work and not
1: say anything. <laughs> oh, my God. I, see, what I will say about Carolina is that she's a dreadful survivor player, but at least she's, like... She realizes that about herself, but actually, which actually might make her a worse survivor player, because she actually acknowledges her faults, but still plows the away because... We'll get much more of it after they lose the immunity challenge, but Carolina definitely starts here by being like, yeah, it's hard for me to keep my opinion to myself, and she's going to become the bossy one very quickly, though. It also, uh, you know, she has a- another target in the woman that says, like, oh, y'all, I got to go to the bathroom, and disappears for half an hour to finally find the stick in the middle of the beach.
0: Yes, this is where we get Sandy with the pace, where <clears throat> yeah, she goes down to the beach, to the beach, to look for the idol, and she reads the uh, tree mail, it says... Walk ten paces, and she gets the quote, what's a pace? Which I, I understand what she's saying, because pro- a pace is probably different for every person. Like, what, it, what is the physical measurement of a pace? What exactly is it? I, I understand she probably knows it's a step, but it's one thing people like to make fun of her, and we, of course, will do it as well.
1: Well, the other thing, though, is that so it's ten paces you'll walk towards the lone palm tree, and you're right. The pacing is one thing, and I love Sandy reaching out to the pace gods for help. Uh, But I don't think she even found the lone palm tree, which, again, considering that this is a woman who could not find a stick in the middle of the desert in the course of four hours, I think that's very telling that she could not find the lone palm tree in the middle of this forest.
0: What's a palm tree? All right. So, uh, yeah, so we have uh, Sandy. We have Carolina.
3: Go get me some firewood, Stephen.
0: And now we go back to, uh, we're going to Tambira for the first day. And this is where we learn a little bit about Tyson's strategy. And Tyson says, you know, I'm just going to be the funny guy out here. I'm just going to make everyone laugh. And this is the season, this is the scene where we get right off the bat. I forgot it was this early in the season where Tyson decides he's going to go get some water and he goes naked. So he's just walking around, bare ass hanging out, everything, else little bits and pieces hanging out. And Debbie's just cracking up. And I think it's Sierra or Aaron. I forget Mm -hmm. who the other one is there. See, they're yeah. just laughing up yeah so it's a funny scene where we meet tyson that's a strategy like i'm kind of an asshole but i'm gonna be the funny one that makes everyone laugh which again is a very good strategy and i'm always those guys always do pretty well in the season if you can pull that off
1: and he has some plans for his money as well
0: oh that's right oh uh, we, i didn't write that down what was it, it was the tiara right the man tiara yep. he's
2: gonna get he's gonna get some rings on his fingers
1: exotic expensive mm-hmm. furs on my shoulder
2: some rings on my may- fingers and uh, he says, and, and a I'm man t- gonna get a tiara, a man tiara. Is that even, do they even have those?
0: Yeah, Jay must have hated that scene. I loved it. Guy making the jokes.
2: Not I not loved right it. Around. I'm a big Tyson, a Tyson fan. I've I've yeah. always been yeah, a Tyson, Tyson
0: fan. All right, so here we go. Let's. Uh, now we're going to fast forward. I think immediately we go right to the first uh, immunity challenge. Mm-hmm. This is the one where they. What is it? They have to. Uh, Raft out, raft, and get some puzzle pieces, and build a staircase, and then go through a little table maze. Right? There's a little table maze that two people have to do at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, in this era of Survivor, it's a it's a challenge that ends with a puzzle.
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, this one goes from a puzzle into another puzzle, so <laughs> that's a thing. We'll puzzle.
2: Yep it's yep. it's 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 your it's your classic retrieve things and then do a puzzle. You know, and and yeah, they're not reinventing the wheel with this. It, it was nice in the sense that you know. Uh, I guess the the it's not as OK, We're this is not Gabon anymore. We don't have just the incredibly wonderful landscape of that Gabon had where you can make these challenges. This is more of a back to basic survivor sort of challenge in that sense. But I think it's pretty well laid out. It's 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 not too bad. It's just, hey, do something physical. And I think that the the, the trump card, at least in this season, is the fact that it's like 150 degrees every day.
0: So let's see, who are the big stars of this challenge? Tyson and JT are the big stars at the start with the physical part. And then we have uh, Taj and Sandy. The first puzzle, they just blow right through it. Taj and Sandy are amazing at, the, at the, the stair puzzle. But then it kind of flips. Jalapa has this big lead and then we get to the end and Tabira comes back and wins with, I think it's Aaron and Brendan, right? Mm-hmm. Aaron and Brendan just blow away the second puzzle and they win it for Tabira. And just like that, Tabira, the big bad black tribe has won the first immunity challenge. It's reward slash reward and immunity, right? I, I,
1: I mean, I they, they it. get Flint if that. That's basically every opening episode one immunity challenge is a reward immunity challenge because they get Flint as well.
0: Surprisingly, Coach incredibly irrelevant in this whole challenge. <laughs> Funny how that works. Okay, so yeah, at the end, it's uh, if I remember from from my notes, Sydney and Spencer are the two that choke at the end on the last puzzle for Jalapow, right? Who? Exactly, exactly. Thank you. It's the correct answer. Okay, so now we're going to go back to Jalapow. they got to vote somebody out, and it looks like it's going to be Sandy. That's the thing. She's annoying. She doesn't really fit in. The, the Jalapow, the jalapeno joke, still not killing. She still hasn't perfected it yet. So, uh, and, and,
3: and Carolina just really shuts her mouth and doesn't get herself in any more trouble and, yeah. and, and doesn't tell people that, you know, we, we really should take care of these unfinished projects around camp.
1: Well, Paul, and, uh, Paul, every failure is an opportunity for growth. That's one of my number one sayings.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely say that right after you, you know, lose a challenge and you could be on the chopping block.
2: Yeah. It, it, it's a bad bit of logic by Carolina in the sense that, you know, the, the tribe is lost, they're upset, and Carolina's like, "You know why I think we lost the challenge is because we didn't finish that one task at camp."
1: <laughs> you guys didn't clean. I love Taj being so livid about that. She's like, "Clean up the outdoors? What the <laughs> hell are you talking about?"
3: reminiscent of serie talking about uh to terry about or talking about when he put his torch in the in the middle of what there's miles of beach
1: your equipment right yeah <laughs>
0: So just to summarize, yeah, Sandy is irritating. She doesn't fit in. But Carolina becomes way more irritating all of a sudden. And we go to Tribal Council, and all of a sudden, the vote is shifted to Carolina, and it's not. she's not going to be long for this game.
3: And well, no. right before we go to Tribal, my favorite scene here is when Carolina's talking to Sandy, and in the most, like, a condescending way, apologizes to Sandy about things and, you know, just say, I just really wish, you know, we won." I can't do the voice. voicemail, you're going to have to repeat this in the voice, but okay. she tells him, you're going to say, um, I'm sorry, Sandy, that we
1: lost, because you have to go home.
0: I'm sorry, Sandy, that you lost, but you have to go home!
1: <laughs> Paul, being condescending can be a good thing sometimes. <laughs> it can?
3: <laughs> actually not. How yeah. is that a good thing? It's not actually,
1: sometimes.
2: Yeah. But I think this goes back to the aloofness that I talked about in the sense that, you know, the tribe initially marked out Sandy as an outsider, the old woman, I don't know, whatever they, they said. And they voted her out or away or the first person she gets to go to camp. So so Sandy's already a person, you know, and I always harken back to, you know, Rudy in the commentary for Survivor All-Stars. It's like, you know, for those first couple votes, you don't even necessarily need a reason. Someone just brings up a name. And you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. And it's a little more complicated than that. You don't just hear a name and go, okay, I'm going to vote for it. But it's like, you know, it's one of those go with the flow things, right? Where like, if the whole tribe's around, the tribe's like, hey, this person, okay, that's fine. But the but the problem is, is that Sandy, even you know, she's not going to be long for this game. I don't think that she's going to make this big trek back in. But it's like Carolina just presents an even bigger option. I think someone was like, well, Sandy did all right in the challenge and Carolina didn't. So, I mean, might as well just both one out one now and then get the other one later.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. But Sandy, a lot of people forget this, that they haven't seen the season in a while. That Sandy's kind of got this little undercurrent of revenge to like, I'm going to make it to the end to show them. I'm going to make it to the end. That's, she'll say this in her confessional. So, yeah, it's people, I think, don't remember what a big character she is at the start of the season. Yep. But, yeah, yeah, so...
2: And and it's funny because Carolina's you know she's gonna claim that she was blindsided and again I always take umbrage with that with that phrase blindsided in the sense that like it's a blindside and that Carolina goes home and she doesn't know that she's going home and it's I mean, but it's like don't you for the most part have to do that these days like we're far past the whole you know let me know I'm going home and I'll sit there and just, you know, sadly shake my head and go home. Like, that's just not a thing that happens anymore. And also, Carolina, there's there's warnings. Not that we're out there 24-7, but there's that scene in the, where Carolina's, you know, yelling at people in, in the water and stuff like that, and Taj is just like, you need to, like, change yourself because you are coming off very negative right now. It's like, I feel like within the first three days, I'm, I'm just saying, for anyone listening to this podcast that goes out on Survivor, if within the first three days, before the first vote, somebody looks in a, in, in a small crowd of people at like a waterhole or some relaxing place, and says, You know, you really need to change your attitude. It's not going well for you.
1: To be fair, she might have thought that someone else was out there who was the target because Joe kept saying Carolyn for the entire three days she was out there. It's
0: a good point. So, yeah, so it, it, it doesn't speak well of you when not even your own tribe may have to remember who you are. <laughs> And, which i and think actually, will be the, carolina's carolina's uh her legacy here in
3: survivor like what the hell was she well, uh, yeah, she has something else that comes up in about oh, <laughs> uh, like yeah, four seasons. Yeah. But, oh
2: man i don't want to yeah. get Speaking into of that. survivor that is, one world that
3: is but before so we touch on what,
0: that. i will sp- touch- to say right now i don't even know what that is i have no okay, idea what you're well, talking we can
3: get about to that one second mine's a very minute thing i want to say really quickly one thing i always notice about this this um the tribal council sequence that I can never not see now is like, there's a clear time when they, they edit the way that you, when they edit Caroline, Carolina's reaction, I, can't, I don't even know her damn name. When they edit her reactions to the votes being read, there's one where she kind of, turns her head really quickly and it looks as if she's looking up at the vote or something that it shocked her. And if you watch carefully, the mole she has on her face switches sides. So it's clearly a mirrored image that they're using to make that shot look better, but it's something I'll never not like unsee. Every time I watch, I watch for uh, her mole to wow. bounce around her face.
0: Maybe she's a demon. That, Cause that's a the demon. alternate ex- explanation. Yeah. No, I'd never seen it. I will have, have to go watch for that. If, if I can find that shot, I'll post it on Twitter. I've never even noticed that before.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. And and the funny thing is that, you know, Carolina, she's, a, she she's going to get voted out here, basically unanimous, other than her vote, right? And, uh, she goes out and then, you know, she's going to say in her final words, and I know you guys will say this, you know, oh, you got me with the blind I'm sitting there going like, okay, it's, again, if I were the first person to go to, to be voted out in Survivor and it was a unanimous vote and stuff like that, like, maybe I'm thinking that it's not, that it's going to go another way and I get voted, but it's like, she was warned. She clearly had warnings. Like Taj warned her and things like that. Like, th- th- it, can be, it can be a surprise to you if you're voted out, but it can't be like a total shock. Like, you have to know that, you know, some people might be gunning for you at that point. And if, and if not, that really does speak ill about how you're your read on everyone out there in Survivor.
0: But we're also in the era of the show when the producers are playing, paying the the players like $100 each time they say the word blindside. So you have to factor that in as well. I'm just making that up. I don't want to fool our listeners. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Anyway,
2: so... So, that's other, Carol other th- his legacy, right? Uh, 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 God, do we really need <laughs> to talk about this? I actually don't this?
0: know
1: what you guys are talking about. Do you please, not? Remember, please. Do Let's you make, make it comfortable.
2: Do you not remember the finale? Yeah, of, Mario, uh, of, Mario, you've
1: watched Survivor Redemption Island the soonest out of all of us. So, I guess we'll do like a quick little 45 seconds on this. So, you right remember or blocked uh, it out of your memory one of the most awkward reunion moments ever, which was... David Murphy from Survivor Redemption Island getting up out of his seat in the middle of Jeff's question to him to propose to Carolina, who was in the audience at the time, and uh-huh. she accepted it. There was actually some rumors that like she had known about it beforehand, and already said yes, it was a little bit of a publicity stunt, but uh, uh, not exactly a marriage in paradise, because I believe even before they got married, Mr. Murphy was seeking out other Survivor players in one Alicia Rosa— Uh, of Survivor 1 world, and so Alicia was essentially a a homewrecker in that she broke up Carolina and David Murphy's engagement, and that's that's much more Carolina's unfortunate, lasting legacy in the Survivor scene.
0: I have no idea about any of that second Uh, stuff. The reunion show I forgot about when I watched the funny 115. When I watched the seasons for that, I never watched the reunion show, so I completely forgot about that. But was, I didn't know it, about the other stuff. So, yeah, it,
2: we don't need to talk about the other stuff because that's none of our business. But the the reunion thing, it's this awkward, cringe, cringeworthy moment. And the thing that I always remember about that moment being really awkward was, you know, that was Survivor Redemption Island. Right. And so, you know, it's sort of near the end of the reunion and you know jeff's like hey david how's it going and he's like how's good And oh you're dating carolina from survivor token Cheens, and everyone was like who and he was like yeah and then he's like wait a minute i've got a question to ask and then the audience you know reacts because they know that he's gonna go over there and you know propose because why else would he get up and start walking over there but what was great is that you know she's sitting like i don't know she's sitting on the side of the studio audience and she's like I don't know halfway back like she's not front row like she's she's back a, a little bit of ways and he goes over there and then the cameras follow her and what's funny is that Amber Berkic Mariano is sitting like over there and you know she like turns around and so like David is like proposing to Carolina and like Amber is in the frame you can like she's like she's like way into it right and she's like staring at this thing with that Amber stare and I just remember that like you know david murphy is promote doing this awkward cringy proposal to carolina and amber burkich is just
0: like staring there, going like i this totally happened to me one
2: time Been
1: there done that yep
0: that's great I, although i cannot believe that he would want to live with that voice 24 hours a day
3: let's all right on. so that
1: <laughs> you need to clean up the apartment
3: <laughs>
1: you want to have some sexy time
3: finish oh the projects
0: the honey do list oh my god okay never mind we're done with episode one of survivor token jeans teens and now we're going to episode two where we're going to lose another player you probably don't remember was on this season (laughs)
1: Oh,
3: you boy. might remember her more for her topless right. scene in Beer Fest.
1: Y- yes, Candace, Candace <laughs> exactly. Smith. Candace Smith has a very odd background because, like, I believe she was like a lawyer as well. But like Paul said, I mean, outside of that, she's. I think she appeared at, like million Miss dollar. Ohio, yeah, and she, I think she appeared at, like million dollar matchmaker too. After she, Survivor, she, Token she, yes. yeah,
2: she, she was on that, and she was wasn't Montrose. she uh, wasn't she on The prices Right? She
1: was. I think she, she was on The prices Right. She was in a uh, end of. She, she Wall- wasn't
2: she on Barker Beauty?
1: Yeah, she was a Parker Beauty, and then she was in that that Jake Gyllenhaal End of Watch movie too. And she was she was in like another movie with like uh, Denzel Washington, I think. So like, she definitely had one of the oddest, most high profile careers for like one of the most dismally finishing Survivor contestants ever.
2: Right, and like she was a bunch of those things before she went on Survivor. Yes, no,
3: just like coach, female coach, yeah, I believe.
2: She was on a bunch of that stuff like before she went on Survivor. Not, it's not like she yeah. went on Survivor and then she did all of this stuff. Like Because she
3: as, w- sh- as Sugar was in the Rainforest Cafe, she was talking about Candace's impressive resume where she's had parts in movies and shows such as Beer Fest and Entourage. <laughs>
0: I can't believe someone in the, the year 2017 is discussing Beer Fest.
1: I just can't believe that despite being on the set of both Beer Fest and Entourage, Candace does not get along well with douchey guys. <laughs> That's like their entire like clientele.
0: Yeah. All right. We're spoiling episode two. Oh no. All right. So episode two starts. We're going to start off here and Spencer says, you know, we didn't vote out Sandy last night, but... She's still next. Nothing's changed. Exactly what Jay said. Yeah, we can get rid of the annoying one later, and then the one who's slightly less annoying the second time around. So Sandy's still got a huge target on her head. Nothing's really changed. And uh, we have this opening montage where Jalapao is hurting. You know, they're only eating fruit, because they never brought any food back from the truck from the start. Coach never told them to take food with his eyes. So so they need some protein, and there's a scene where they go out and they eat termites. Which is not what I would do, but also I've never spent time starving in the token team, so maybe I yeah, would we'll do that, but man eat, breaking open a live termite nest and eating the live ones that's just nasty ass to steal the words of Dina Bennett here
2: that is nasty ass oh, that's so good uh yeah it didn't look good and uh, you know fishback looked like he was really enjoying that uh, that termite
0: <laughs> that would, maybe it was the termites that ripped out the ass of his pants I'm not too <laughs> sure what was going on there they might and again you know I I,
2: I, I, t- I took a shot at Steven earlier but it's like like I said I, I've said multiple times on on these podcasts that I would I don't think I would even survive the process of going on to Survivor. So anyone that actually goes out there has my infinite respect. Stephen lasted a long time. Maybe he's inept with the survival stuff, but it's like, dude, Stephen went out there and did it. And, you know, I'm making fun of him because he made a really gross face when he was eating this termite, but he ate it.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. It's interesting, though, because we're about to see the real development of the Steven-JT relationship, and I don't think we got this straight from the horse's mouth, but I'd like to believe that, like, Steven and JT almost had this sort of, like, symbiotic relationship where JT taught Steven some survivalism stuff, and Steven kind of taught JT how to play the game. And then JT sort of, like, ran away with that.
0: Yeah. And if only JT had taught Steven how to run. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, there's that, but you know, again, JT is getting the edit of edits. Like, I don't know very many people that have that are going to get an edit quite like JT. But that being said, you know, Stephen is going to attach himself to JT and kind of do the whole. Well, you know, JT is riding this high and is you know a good in challenges and people seem to really like him. And if he wants to have me along, then I'm going to you know tag along with him. And you know, I think the whole point is is that I'll ride a coattail and then. They'll slip up or they'll do something and then I'll come and take credit. And it's like, well, it doesn't work if the person never slips up. Just saying.
0: Yep. Okay. So we got that one relationship. We got kind of JT and Steven. They're kind of bonding. And we're going to go over to uh, Timbira here. And we have very much like Sandy. Sierra is still on the out. So nothing's changed. She's still the one on the out with uh, Timbira. No one really talks to her. She doesn't, doesn't fit in. She did not integrate with the tribe, Sandy so she goes to brendan brendan's kind of looks like mr popular among the timbers at the time so sierra goes to him for help kind of she needs a buddy she needs someone to talk to and she gets chosen the clue that's for the idol that she got on the first day and they go out and they go and dig for the idol together it's her little bonding moment and this is kind of a thing that brendan and sierra i know we're going to get to the comic part in a second but brendan and sierra they're kind of a tight bond this will come back later with the exile alliance i had forgotten about the scene so yeah, So uh, Sierra and Brendan go down to the beach and they start digging digging a big ass hole on the beach, which they're clearly, they found the stick that Sandy apparently hasn't found yet. They're just digging and digging and digging. There's this giant, what, four foot hole at the time. And Debbie walks down to the beach, sees them digging and uh, who, who? I mean, they're clearly caught red-handed digging for an idol and one of them, I forget which one, one of you Sierra. remembers, is who makes up a lie? It's Sierra. Yeah, Sierra says, oh, we're building a fire pit. And Debbie... Maybe not the sharpest tack in the shed it says. Oh, cool! A fire pit, <laughs> guys. We're gonna have a beach fire tonight. He goes running back to tell everyone. <laughs> cool. We're not caught at
1: all. I love Debbie. I know Debbie is gonna be like a super under the radar figure until like the merge when she becomes part of this minority alliance. But she is so aloof. It's so funny. And there was actually I don't know if you guys remember like the Mer Hag thing online, but like even going into the season, she was like infamous on Survivor Sucks because when they did the, like, uh, intro to Survivor Token Sheens at the end of the Gabon reunion, they had a shot of Debbie diving into the water. But that's, like, the only shot of a human that anyone had gleaned on the internet from that preview. So they, like, dubbed her the mysterious Hag, the woman that dove into the water. And once they put a name to it of Debbie, or as Jeff's going to call her, Deborah, for the first, like, five or so episodes, they finally put a name to the face. Again, she's not going to be very prevalent in these first few episodes, but you have a moment like this where you have someone come up with this complete... Like, this is such a stupid lie on paper of oh yeah, we're building it. we're digging a big pit so we can have a bonfire <laughs> on the beach. Like we're in some sort of fifties surfing movie, and Debbie's like, Oh cool, this is gonna be great. Come on, gang. Everybody <laughs> help dig a fire pit. What
3: a great use of time. Yeah, yeah, everybody come out and
0: see our underground fire we're gonna have tonight. That's
3: well that that's what I
2: love more than anything else, is not only does Debbie buy the lie, but like she feels that like that that was really worthy like wow what a neat thing that they did is they <laughs> dug a hole in the sand like i need to tell everybody what an amazing couple that you guys are that you totally just dug a hole in the sand so that maybe we could have a fire <laughs> my uh,
3: my second favorite thing after debbie saying cool and going back to the tribe and selling and telling everyone about how awesome this is um, is the fact that when they go back to the tribe to explain this to everyone and everyone's like oh, okay and candace says i don't think i'm gonna go yeah, like, 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 what else are you doing? Like, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. I got something else going on. I'm not going to be able to attend the bonfire. Like, great social integration. This is a game about social integration. Sandy, Candice.
1: You know, China's Crazy Dave was just sitting there being like, there's no craftsmanship in that fire pit. What are these people doing? There's no cinder blocks there.
2: If you're not even going to do it right, Sierra and Brendan, don't do Damn it at all.
0: It. To be fair, this is only... Day two, like he had 18 days to do his fire pit. Perhaps if they, they could have dug in that hole so far down in 18 days. So I think in their defense, they could have matched him.
2: Were they trying to dig to China and maybe dig up his fire pit?
0: <laughs> no, bring it
1: back? Dig, dig up, stupid.
0: <laughs> Exception, uh-huh. look at that. They, they crash into Dave's fire pit. That's where the two fire pits where, they, where the twain shall meet.
1: But I, I, agree, I agree with Paul. This is actually like a really interesting editing moment where it was almost like when you do crossfades, in music, we almost got a cross phase between scenes because we get, we sort of like play out this Sierra and Brendan scene and Sierra's like, okay, this is despite our lie, actually succeeding somehow. This is way too dangerous. I'm not going to look for the idol anymore, but that Candace comment segues into the next scene where Candace is essentially like, it's all about Candace between her getting worked over by Tyson when talking about Chilean sea bass and also causing a stir with the rice and beans.
0: Yeah. And to me, this is the one of the most definitive Tyson scenes here, which it says oh, is so much
1: about Tyson's character. Where,
0: again, if you haven't seen this season, this scene in a while, I'll sum it up for you. Where Candace and Tyson are just talking and about food, what kind of food they should do, what they should do for dinner, and and uh, Candace says, "Yeah, we should take a sea bass and like wrap it up and then steam it and get some spices and throw them in there." And Tyson's like, "Yeah, that would be good. We can we can give a, we can get all that stuff around here." She's like, "Really?" And he's like, no, I just lied to your face and you ate it up. <laughs> like I said, just totally like my friend Jason would do that. Just talk deadpan right to you and he's totally making fun of you and you don't realize it until like a couple seconds later. And that's, that's Tyson in a nutshell. This is one of his definitive moments right here. I lied to your face and you ate it up.
1: It's crazy. And again, I'm going to spoil future seasons. So if you haven't seen any future seasons, tune out for the next like full minute. It's so crazy watching this back knowing that Tyson is going to be a Survivor winner. Just because of the edit he's getting, and he's going to get edits, you know, even into his boot being like, Sierra's a horrible person, and like saying all these over-the-top, negative, ass things. To think about the fact that this man is going to win a million dollars almost five years from this point is a little crazy to think about, considering this first edit.
0: Well, I think Tyson, I mean, even, I'll, I'll say in his defense, we don't see it a lot, but I would imagine... He's very funny and witty, and you don't just take him seriously. Even when he slams you to your face like that, you just think he's joking around. So I think he can get away with it because he's funny most of the time. That's my, that's my impression. I, I don't think this is him just being an asshole. I think he's making a joke and she's actually laughing at it. But who knows?
1: And on top of that, it's also un- funny to imagine that the guy we're about to talk to and getting in an argument with Candice coach is not only going to be a runner up on a survivor season but someone who a lot of people have argued should have been the winner of a survivor season <laughs> it's insane to think about
0: watching token chains and then knowing what happens after it is quite amusing thinking that coach and Tyson both could be we could be talking about a pair of survivor winners there it's very possible all right yeah so we have Tyson and Candace her little scene now we have a scene where Candice is saying that she wants to cook rice and beans together in the same pot. And coach gets in a big argument with her. You can't cook things together in the same pot because one will burn because they take different cook times, which I think technically he might be correct there, but it it seems like this is a running fight where the Candice and coach don't get along and they have this little bickering match. And then coach has a fantastically coach confessional here. This is one that I love. This is just get ready for lots of quotes like this, where coach kind of contradicts himself, where he says basically that, uh, you know, Candace is like me. She finds faults in other people, but I do it because I'm a coach. That's my job. It's just in her nature. So basically we do the same things, but it's because I'm noble and amazing and it's because she's an asshole, but it's the same thing otherwise. So yeah, so they're the same other, except that for him, That's a, that's a it's a uh, that's a benefit. That's a good thing.
1: The thing about Candace, though, is that she has this really interesting confessional where, like, she even admits, like, hey – I sir in real life I wouldn't have taken that crap and I would have argued with him but I decided to walk away because I know he's going to come back and apologize. And what do we see coach immediately do <laughs> afterwards? Not only come back and apologize but like awkwardly ask for a kiss at the same time?
0: Absolutely. That's the way the master works. That's how you get the kiss. You insult them and you get the kiss.
2: Yeah. And she even says in this interview she's just basically like his his ego is going to get the best of him. Like Candace was on the money about Coach, like 100% on the money, which, you know, either means that she has an incredible read on people or it just means that Coach was that transparent at the beginning.
0: And you'll see this throughout the whole season. Everyone has a read on Coach. There's so many great quotes about Coach. A lot, a lot of the love that I have for Coach is other people just saying things about him.
2: Yeah, but she was right. I mean, she was right the whole time. And and I, uh, I'm i glad that you pointed out that out, Mike, that, you know, she's like, he'll come back and apologize. And He does.
0: <laughs> he does. Yep, that man has an ego bigger than Brazil, which we will see later. All right, so we go back to Jalapao, and here's another scene that I think a lot of people kind of forget about. This is one I'd forgotten about. Like, you remember Taj as being a big character. I forgot that she has a very famous husband. I guess for some reason that slipped my mind. And for people who don't know, her husband, is his name is Eddie George, famous NFL football player, very, very successful, well-liked, popular, just big-name talent. So she, in a way... It's kind of been like uh, Monica Culpepper and that she's married to the athlete. She's probably had to take second, been play second fiddle all her life to Monica playing to Brad. Although Eddie George was a bigger name than Brad, and at the same time Taj was a pretty famous celebrity in her own yeah. right, unlike Monica. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> the same way, but it's like the NFL star is always going to be bigger than the pop star. But it, yeah, it's it's she's I mean, has a very famous rich husband.
2: Yeah, let let's not sleep on the fact that Taj was part of SWV, which was mm-hmm. a very big pop group in the '90s.
1: I mean, her her lower third doesn't say. NFL wife. It says former pop star.
0: Alright. But is she neat? Is she a neat lady? <laughs> Alright, yeah. So we get the the confessional here where they find out who Taj is married to, and Stephen, of course, has no idea. He's never heard of football. He's like, football? What are these balls people throw? And then, uh, jt gives us the confessional you know taj has a lot of money she has more money than i do and this is kind of a kiss of death you'll see this in in past seasons and it's funny because it's not going to be really become evident later like it's not really any part of the storyline but yeah this is the bar again the thing that we said earlier the taj is a major character in the first part of these first couple episodes of this season
1: do you think she should have volunteered that information i mean It would have led to a really awkward moment when they get to the eventual family visit and Eddie George just shows up and people say, what the hell, you're related to this man. But I mean, it seems like from the scene that was presented to us, she just like readily says that, yeah, he's a pro football analyst. By the way, he's Eddie George like that. I feel like that's not something you don't need to necessarily go Gary Hawkins and come up with this entire weird like he went to school with Eddie George, but he wasn't Eddie George. But do you feel like she necessarily needed to say that? Because even though, yes, it doesn't really come to fruition, JT is going to vocalize a sentiment that Taj herself is going to vocalize of, oh, this is someone who comes from a lot of money. I need this money much more than she does.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, it did seem like she was very eager to share that information. She wasn't really, not only was she not trying to hide it, she was almost leading him down the path. Like, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, keep talking. So it's like, yeah, it's a very, it was an odd choice of her to bring that up the way she does.
2: Yeah, but by the same time, this is not, you know, we've had athletes and stuff on, on Survivor, you know, and, and Gary Hogaboom, of course, with the, you know, with the classic, like, I'm going to basically make a parallel character that has done everything that Gary, you know, which was an odd tact. But I mean, I, that's the whole thing. Like, if you're famous or semi famous or you're related to fame or or something like that, do you tell or do you not tell? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm going to try to keep it. But it's like, you know, Taj. Not only is she married to Eddie George but like I said she was part of you know a very successful pop group forever like like fame and fortune is what she knows you know what I mean and maybe not fortune so much even though I I feel like she she's doing all right money wise but it, fame you know what I mean like she's she's used to being on tour and with celebrities so that's her life and it's like for her to basically go you know what I'm just going to say I'm a letter carrier and try to like she can't then you know it's like you sort of have to be real and and share a little bit of yourself and it's like you know, there are people like Willard and stuff like that. And I mean, everyone loved Willard on Palau, but it's like, you know, when, when Koror had to go to Tribal Council, they voted him off, not only because he was old and feeble, but, you know, Willard was like, I didn't tell anyone about my background or anything like that. And it's like, that hurts you in the game when you close yourself off like yeah. that. Like, you need to come up with a completely false backstory like Gary Hogaboom did very badly. Or, you know, you just <laughs> you, you just sit there and you don't say anything. And it's like, I think with Taj... Taj is so relatable to everyone, and it's like she just she just went out and said it. It's like, yeah, maybe it'll it'll burn her down the road, but it's like she made that thing. She's like, I'm just going to tell people who I am, and I'm just going to have them relate to me, and it's just not going to matter down the road. And,
3: and I think with that, I mean. I think that's part of what makes Taj not so intimidating is that, you know, she does have this fame and fortune and money. And so she's not seen as this person who's absolutely cut through will do anything to make it to the end to win that money. And I think that helps her out in a lot of ways is that she's genuine to herself and you get her genuine intentions are not to cut everyone down um, and win the game.
0: And for people who don't follow sports or we have listeners from other countries, I actually get a lot of emails from other countries that don't really. When we say that a professional football player is rich, he made a lot of money, and they say Otage doesn't need the money. I just looked up Eddie George, her husband. His current net worth today, this is long after he's finished playing, he's still worth $23 million. So that's the kind of thing thinking like your other players would think. I'm not sure she needs an extra million when her husband already has 23 plus whatever she has made over her career. So that's, that's the kind of scale we're talking about here. All right, so we got the Taj scene. She kind of reveals herself, and we learn, uh-oh, then maybe maybe it's not a good thing that people know they have so much money. We're going to go to the reward challenge, which is a reward slash immunity challenge. And uh, this is for fishing gear and immunity. And this is one where it's like a big scrum out in the water, where they're fighting, and they have to get a ball. And they have to shoot it into a basket. It's basically basketball out in the water.
1: It's literally called Basket Brawl. Uh, but yeah, we saw this. We saw the the like, rugby football version of this in Micronesia, complete with the rain falling. But this is... Token Sheens, I know that we, we sort of said, like, yeah, the first challenge is kind of simple, but there are actually quite a few challenges from Token Sheens that are going to be used multiple times in future Survivor seasons, and this is one of them. Yep. I believe, like, basketball has been played, like, four times so far in Survivor history. It's just a, a good one to use for, like, hey, if you have, like, a reasonable body of water, this is an excuse for, like, people to get physical with each other in a relatively safe environment.
0: Yeah, and this one's especially physical if people haven't watched in a while. Like they're crashing into each other, they're just tackling each other. There's a scene where Sandy basically rips off Aaron's bra and starts waving it around or waving her arm around like she's like a, a, in a rodeo, which is a great scene. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of crashing going on and it's it's a very close challenge. I think what is it? Timbira wins the first two, then Jalapeño wins the second two and it comes down to the, you know, whoever wins the fifth point and in the end, Steven ends up, of all people, Steven wins it for the nerd, gets the final basket for Jalapao, and they win immunity here. Any other highlights from this challenge you guys remember?
1: I mean, Candice is going to point it out, but again, Coach, essentially useless. I mean, he only uh, gets played in one round. The way this sort of works is that it's three-on-three, three, and I think they like randomly draw for gender. Uh, so there are some points, like, I think Tyson's in, like, two or three rounds. I think JT's in two or three rounds. But Coach is only in one, and he barely does anything. And Sierra's another one, too, who's, like, really dragging it. Though I think, unfortunately, like, her and Aaron were both of smaller statures. And it's sort of like that Survivor China challenge where the Hu women were just much more powerful. I think that was the case with the Jalapao woman as well.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> what happens here? So we, uh, so Jalapao wins their first challenge, and since this is an Exile Island season, they get to send somebody to Exile Island from from uh, Timbura. And who do they pick? They pick Brendan. They're going to send, of course, the strongest guy from Jalapao to Exile. And this is where Jeff announces there's another twist this season. And he says, okay, uh, Brendan, you're going to Exile Island. You get to pick one person from the other tribe to go to Exile Island, Island with you. And he's like, oh, okay, and he picks Taj. I mean, I don't know why he picks Taj. He immediately picks Taj. And so this is going to become the, the biggest storyline of the first maybe five or six episodes, this Exile Island Alliance. It's going to become very huge here. So just remember that we have Brendan and Taj going off to Exile Island, and this will become, A, a huge storyline, and B, as Mike pointed out, one of the biggest blue ball storytelling devices ever in Survivor history, which I will define that again. We have foreign listeners, blue ball, I Meaning it will have no resolution. This will never be resolved. You're never going to see anything ever happen with this, even though it will be discussed endlessly for the first couple episodes. And for those of you
2: following along, we've got back to basics, right? We had a vote out at the very beginning of, of, the, of, of the show where, you know, they vote someone to send them to camp already. We have hidden immunity idols buried at each base. And now we've got Exile Island and sending another person on the other tribe to Exile Island as well. Really back to basics.
1: And this this is also again they did this in Survivor Micronesia, but it was a little different from what I remember in Fans versus Favorites. I think the winning tribe picked both the person from the losing tribe and the person from the winning tribe to go to exile because that was the whole thing where uh, I remember like Malakal won reward and Ozzy was like Tracy, take one for the team, don't go to the village with us. Uh, and then I, in this case, it's the winning tribe picks the loser and then the, the loser who goes to exile picks the person from the winning tribe. So it's a little bit different, and that's going to enable, as Mario sort of alluded to, much more of this alliance where essentially it's going to be the four four people constantly picking each other.
3: It's more of a basic yeah. twist that way. Exactly. <laughs> as they used to in the original season, yes. As
1: yeah. they
3: did all the time in Survivor Australia and Survivor Africa.
2: Yeah, it's like <laughs> that challenge where they, they picked up the second knife and immediately lost the challenge.
3: Mm.
0: All right, so there's a... Big scene here where after Jalapao has won immunity, they go back to camp and they're using their fishing gear, which they won in the the, uh, immunity chair in the challenge, and they go fishing together. And this is where JT is starting to get the golden boy at it. We get the scene where JT is showing everyone how to fish, how to do stuff, and especially JT working with Steven, where JT kind of shows Steven how to fish. And and Steven in a confessional says, you know, JT is our leader. I think he's awesome. This guy's cool. And they start bonding. We see a lot of things of JT and Steven kind of hanging out and just talking and being buddies with one another. And again, this will eventually become the biggest storyline of the season, although it takes a while to emerge. It's not as obvious right off the bat. But uh, yeah, this is a it's a cool little scene of just two fish out of water who have nothing in common, just bonding. And again, what Survivor was originally intended to be, just people from different backgrounds forced to interact and work together. And you could not have two more different backgrounds than Stephen Fishback and, and JT uh, Thomas here
1: also noteworthy storytelling thing uh, which they only yes they only do one challenge this episode which is a little strange because you think back to basics they do two challenges an episode we'll get back to that in the next episode but because they only did one challenge we get the very rare cut back to the winning tribe uh, after the immunity challenge which i was a little weirded out about first before like Mario said we get this very important scene between JT and Steven that is going to germinate and then really become something big uh once we get to like the late pre-merge beginning of the post-merge yeah
0: and it also will literally be the only storyline on dollopow so that's nice
1: hey don't talk about sydney wearing other people's <laughs> boxer shorts yeah i was so excited we'll get to talk
0: about sydney and i bet you guys don't remember her either
1: all right so here we go
0: X exile island this is where the exile alliance is going to become born Where's uh so taj and brendan they get to exile island this big it's a big sand dune it's kind of very picturesque for an exile island in this season it's this big old dune it's very orangish brown it's kind of a cool color and uh there's two urns there and uh they both get to pick an urn and only one of the urns has a, a clue to an immunity idol in it so i think in this one who gets it first is it uh brendan 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 yeah so brendan gets a clue and uh Let's see. The option joining. You see. There's something I wrote on my notes here, that the players have an option to join the other tribe when they leave Exile. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, I remember him saying, yep. and does that ever come up in the rest of the season?
1: Nope. It no, never played it, yeah, so
3: played it, we played it up a lot in the preseason that this was going to be one of the twists at Exile and that you, every week there'd be the opportunity for Mutiny. This is the first time we ever really hear about it and it never really happens again after this, even though that is always an option for... Um, four contestants when they go to exile island okay yeah see i wrote in my
0: notes and i'm like i even put a question mark but was that did i hear that correctly yes so there was this whole mutiny twist again like they did in the first couple seasons in borneo and australia with those mutiny twists
1: even in that moment bradney says like well i'm not gonna do that and i think that's uh, while the like fortunately having the same four people go to exile really builds up this really cool storyline of cross tribal alliances the downside is that they have much less of an incentive to switch, like I'm thinking of who would want to switch maybe Aaron or Sierra if you send them, but like it's it's you're you're it's so disadvantageous to solely be the person to swap over to the other tribe. You'd be right. screwed more than like Aaron and James and Sharia and frosty were
2: i I keep i keep like thinking that this is something that Jeff really wants but doesn't, in the sense that, I mean, this this has happened since the dawn of time in Survivor. Like, even to, like, Survivor Thailand, like, way back in the day, where, like, every once in a while, like, they'll just bring it up, and Jeff will be like, anyone want to switch tribes? And, like, nobody does. Yeah. You know, like, we had the mutiny in, in Cook Islands, and, and that worked really well for Jonathan Penner <laughs> and Candace. So, you know...
0: They that's were beloved, the, beloved. Yeah,
2: beloved, right? And, and then, you know, they get this thing where, like, you could switch tribes. It's just like, quit bringing this up. This is not a thing. Try, quit trying to make fetch happen. Like, this is not a thing that's going to, that, that's going to take catch on. Like, just stop it. Stop it, Survivor.
0: <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the part I was alluding to earlier is that, yeah, so Taj and Brendan decide to work together. Even though only one of them gets a clue to the idol, they decide, okay, we'll just work together. Why not? And they, they kind of figure out that uh, the idol is back at camp. It says, "Oh well, I don't know what we're, the well, point of us being here is. There's <laughs> nothing to find." So yeah, it's, they, yeah, they, they're like, "Okay, they, they know enough that it's back at camp. They just don't know where." So they're like, "Okay, we need to get sent back here again so we can get more clues."
2: Well, well, Taj figures it out, and what I love is, I want to know what what how much time was elapsed, right? Because Brendan gets the clue, and then he, you know, Taj is like, "Oh, read it," and Brendan's like, "Can you give me some privacy?" So Taj gives him some privacy. He reads the clues, and then you know he doesn't quite get it because the tribe it says something about how like it's buried in tribal lands or something like that, and he's like. I don't know. I guess I'll have to find some tribal lands or something. And then it's like Taj goes like, So what did the note say? And Brendan's like, I can't tell you. And it's like the next scene, they're at some other place, and Tajka's like, Come on, what did the note say? And Brendan's like, Okay, here it is. It's like, How long, how much time had passed with Taj going, What does the note say? What does the note say? What does the note say? Come on, <laughs> what does the note say? It's the two of us. What does the note say?
1: I'm assuming a that point. they skipped the scene where Taj talked about her husband, Eddie George, to Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: You'd never guess who my husband is. Damn it, how would you find it out?
2: Everybody knows about it. Yeah. So then so then she figures and then he's like he reads they read the clue and she's like, Well it's obviously buried at our camps and he's like, Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> he's like, Tribal homelands, hmm, what could that be? And then within like three seconds of Tosh, she's like, That's Becca Camp, you idiot No like, She <laughs> didn't say that, but that was the tone. He's like Becca Camp, he's like, Oh, she's like my husband he's really famous he'll be he could be (laughs) And i I was gonna go with that i was trying to incorporate it total fail okay so we got that and
0: again basically the end of the scene is well we got to learn more about this so let's agree to get uh sent to exile island together again it's just one of us and then we can take the other one so this is the birth of the exile alliance they're gonna exile alliance they're gonna start working together okay so now we go to the losing tribe Uh, now we finally the the dust has all settled. Timbira has lost the challenge, and now they got to vote out their first member. So we go to Timbira. And not surprisingly, everyone's bitching about Coach. This is where the girls say, you know, Coach did nothing in that challenge. He just talks. He's all talk. You know, iron sharpens iron. He wants to be the strong. He didn't do jack shit in that challenge. <laughs> Plus, he's all, let's, let's vote him out. So the girls want to get rid of Coach. They're tired of him already.
1: And, and Candace specifically compares him to one of the little old ladies at her church who wears a big hat and isn't on the up and up, and it just makes me imagine Coach in one of these like Southern cotillion big floofy hats.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, he kind of started the whole Southern church lady thing. <laughs> All right, isn't so yeah, so yeah, so he... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Satan. All right. So, yeah. So, Candace, yeah, he's, she's all after Coach. She's all talk. And this is where Debbie goes to tell Coach, she's like, you know, Candace is after you. She's negative. I hate the negativity. Candace is just negative. So, now the tide, it's kind of was against Coach, but it's also going to kind of get against Candace because she's the one just stirring up all this drama and bringing negativity around camp. And this is eventually what's going to do her in.
1: Well, I love that, again, Coach from episode two is living in his hypocrisy by being like, iron sharpens iron. Candace is a good player. But also, she's a poison apple, so I guess it's iron sharpens iron unless there's a poison apple in there. Is it like the I before E except after C (laughs) of the samurai warrior?
0: Yeah, the samurai code is a flowchart. You have to see which way it goes in certain examples. But yeah. Let's see, we're going to go back to to Jalapal here. I forgot we actually bounced back and forth between the tribes here because there's so much... There's only one challenge. There's so much more episode here. So we go back to... uh, we, we go back to Brendan coming back to the Timbira camp and telling everyone that he lies. He's like, uh, I, I didn't get the idol clue. Taj got it. You only one person gets it. So he kind of builds up that he doesn't know anything about the idol. And Meanwhile, he knows the idol's there at camp. He just can't figure out where it is. He, he goes, I don't know where it is, but they need one more clue to figure it out.
2: It's a good lie. I'm. It, it, it's a good lie, uh, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth, because... You know, it's the lie where, you know, people try to do it later on, but it's the one where he basically tells them the whole truth. Like, there were two urns, one of them had a clue in it, and one of them didn't, and I just had the one that didn't. And he, you know, he told the truth on everything except for the fact that he totally got the clue.
0: Yeah, other than that, perfectly honest. Okay, so basically the vote tonight is going to come down to Candace versus – sierra and sierra candace sierra still has a little bit of you know stigma against her because she has passed away and she's dead in the corner over there of her strep throat and then you have candace who's just negative so it's really and i know i know even tyson even though can even though coach is pushing for candace and debbie's pushing for candace tyson is the other one kind of holding out saying i don't want sierra here she's small and weak she gave us all strep throat here in the strep shack and so this is great scene where coach to prove his honor, it goes to Sierra. She's a little worried she's going to get voted out tonight. And Coach gives a promise as a man of his word: "I will not vote you out tonight. I give you my word, my man. Of, I'm a man of honor, and I make my living off of people trusting me. You are safe tonight." So, Sierra has gotten the uh, the uh, kiss of life from Coach that she will not be voted out tonight. And this is, I think, the last time anybody's nice to Sierra. That's I'd forgotten there was a scene in here where Coach was actually nice to her.
3: I know that's the weirdest thing hearing Coach like talk up Sierra.
1: Well, then yep. it's interesting, though, because this is another scene, and I think you talked about before, uh, with, you know, Coach talking about this Iron Sharpens Iron thing with Brendan. Like, Coach, in his head, is very much saying, like, okay, let me show how honest I am by, like, affirming my loyalty to these people, but Coach is the only one that realizes how loyal he is. Nobody else knows Coach, so nobody knows that if he comes up to you and says, I'm not going to vote you out, if he's going to be true to his word, so, like... It's so crazy that he like, comes up to these people and is like, I will give you like, my honor as a man. You know who I am. I will, I will stick to this promise. And we're like, we don't know who you are. You could be lying out of your ass for all we know. I don't know who you are except for the fact that you walk in here claiming all this big game and then can't run down a basketball court.
0: <laughs> well, he is a conductor. It's why the known conductors cannot lie. So I think that's what he's banking on. Alright, so yeah, we go to tribal council. It's either gonna be Sierra or Candace, and uh eventually, bye bye, five to one. We see five votes for Candace and we lose our, our most famous Barker beauty in survivor history. Candice is voted out.
1: Though uh I think her closest ally at this point, uh definitely doesn't help her case here, where it's so there's a moment where, you know, Jerry sort of gives the requisite answer of the first time at Tribal Council, of like, yeah, we've gone we've grown so close, we've all bonded, this is gonna suck to get rid of somebody, and Aaron has this very visual reaction, and says, like, well, you know, you, you guys need to be careful, because, like, the bonds you make are only gonna be skin deep, and then you have Debbie trying to, like, smooth things over by saying, you know, I mean, we all really got to know each other on the walk, like, I really trust these people, and Aaron's like, well, there's a difference of between knowing someone and trusting someone, and... Erin's going to have a lot of ground to make up when she gets back to camp, but she's not doing herself any favors with what she's saying here to the rest of her tribe.
0: Yeah, Surprisingly, Erin, not a good social player either. All right. I do have to point out as a coach scholar that this is the very first instance. The coach has a little ritual he does every time he votes to tribal council. You guys know what I'm talking about? The jacket sling. Yeah, every every time Coach goes up to cast his vote, he pulls off his jacket, he twirls it around, and puts it on his shoulder. It's this little vote thing, and it will become a little fun little moment later later in the season where the other players will start making fun of him for doing that. But you see it for the first time in this scene. If you watch real close, you can see Coach do his little jacket sling. It's his first little Coach douche trademark.
1: Coach did the whole Mr. Belvedere thing first.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, so Candace gets voted out by everyone, even her buddy Aaron. Aaron was band- bonding with Candace; she votes for Candace. So that's it. We lose our second uh, mostly forgettable player of the season, and she will not be the last. Any last thoughts on Candace?
2: Nope.
0: <laughs> nope. Very good. Perfect. I like the fact that we already mentioned the mutiny in Cook Islands, and she's already been usurped by the other Candace, and who was more interesting? <laughs> All right. Episode three. Here we go. <laughs> If you thought Candace was forgettable, here comes Jerry. All right. So after the vote, we learned that Aaron voted for Candace, kind of turned against her friend. And now Aaron's walking around telling everyone she was in on the plan. She's kind of backpedaling. And the rest of the tribe isn't buying it. They're like, no, Aaron, you and Candace were tied. You guys were buddies. Don't even give us that shit that you were in with us on that vote. So Aaron is still kind of the pariah here, which is funny because they still have Sierra, who was the pariah. So I'm not entirely sure how Aaron stole her spot. But now Aaron's kind of on the outcast here with everybody. And Coach Timbira, is mad. Yeah, Coach is it's, furious. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a weird, like, game of inches between Aaron and Sierra for the next few episodes. Because Timbira is going to go to this next Tribal Council, but it's going to be kind of an easy vote in Jerry. And then they don't go for the rest of the pre-merge, which, looking back, is probably a bad thing for Timbira. Because as soon as they get the chance, they're going to immediately start going after each other. And who knows? Maybe if they had another vote to shed brendan and like really affirm a solid alliance things would not turn out the way they did but yeah at this point it's basically aaron and sierra trying to outmaneuver each other of who can suck less in the challenges essentially
0: yeah and coach is just incensed for some reason coach is furious he hates aaron with a passion that he sees like aaron say oh I'm, I'm with you guys i i was never with candace and coach is like she's insulting our intelligence and uh you know, Aaron made her bed. Now she has to lie in it. She will never be a part of my alliance. A so coach, you laying know, laying down the law, right? So this Aaron and coach thing is going to go on for quite a while. And uh, yeah, so Aaron is completely on the outs with her tribe. She is the black sheep. And she even tells us, I have to really outperform these challenges now because I'm screwed. I lost my only buddy, Candace. And now it's just me against them. But luckily for Aaron, we're going to get Jerry's subplot where Jerry isn't feeling well. His stomach is starting to all screwed up. So apparently he's caught some of the, the strep germs that, that uh, Sierra has spread around in the strep shack. So now Jerry has caught them. So Sierra's evil plan is starting to pay off.
1: <laughs> the only contestant to use biological warfare. She's a mastermind. <laughs> she is.
0: <laughs> yeah, she had the chemical weapons. All right. Okay, so we go back to when, you know They're fishing with their net. They're bonding and stuff. And the problem is they're having problems. They can't figure out the fishing net. And this is a problem I have when I fish with a net. I can't figure out how it works.
1: Probably doesn't help that that JT's wearing a big old net on his head. (laughs) Did you guys guys notice that? Like, they're all standing around, like, holding net, and here's the guy that's supposed to be leading them. He's just, like, he has it on like it's a big hat over his head, and I I don't exactly know what his goal is. Uh, He ends up being, you know, the big uh, fishing savior later on, but it's a weird shot of JT.
0: Maybe it's his tribute to Denise the lunch lady with the hairnet when she has to wear that to serve the food to the kids. So it might be his little long-lost tribute. I don't know. That's just a speculation. I've heard that theory. People talk about that. All right. So yeah. So JT is the fishing savior. They, there's not a lot going on in this episode. I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, I don't have much to talk about. All right. So they, JT helps them catch minnows. They use the minnows to catch bigger fish. Yay! JT's the hero. Yay! This is all we have on Jalapal. Now let's go to a challenge.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of juries, the jerrymanthi memorial challenge.
1: Yeah, luckily they didn't, nobody decided to throw corn on somebody.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, for people don't remember, there's a reward challenge here. This is where people are blindfolded and one person has to lead them through the, a bunch of obstacles. They have to fill up a bucket with water and then fill up a bucket with corn, which is new. I guess that's the Brazil touch on this one. But yeah, who is the callers? We have Joe and Debbie and they have to lead everyone through all these obstacles while blindfolded.
1: Yeah, this is, this is not close.
0: Yeah, Timpera sucks. Especially yeah. Brendan and Jerry. They have no idea what's going on. Debbie's a terrible caller. Basically, Jollopow wins easy. I don't I have nothing in my notes. There's nothing remotely interesting about this challenge other than Jollopow wins easy. And they win a bunch of reward stuff. They win blankets, umbrella, chairs and pillows and stuff like that. So good for them although after the challenge the one thing that makes this scene memorable is coach so upset that he lost has a primal rage of of anger he roars really loud so that's coach's first moment of snapping and anger because he cannot believe that they are losing
1: reminds me of survivor pearl islands man with the beard rupert
2: wait oh oh, yeah i remember him
1: yeah remember him yeah (laughs) jeff's gonna remind us in another episode don't worry (laughs) i know
0: I would totally do a Rupert voice, but I completely blew my voice out doing that dumb Carolina impression. So I can't do anything. All right. So, yeah, they get to send someone to exile. They send Brendan again. And Brendan gets to pick someone. He's like, I know, I'll pick Taj. So Brendan and Taj back to Exile Island per their plan. And here we go. We're going back to Timbira.
1: Like how Coach says that primal yell was about a quarter of what I was feeling. It was a quarter. It's
0: quantifiable. Yeah. And this is, again, so many great coach moments. And this is the stuff I write about on the Funny 115, how you don't have to like like coach, you don't have to root for coach, but you have to appreciate what the editors do with him. And there's a fantastic editing moment where the editors just bury coach here. And I love it. And this is where they go back to camp and coach is furious that they lost this challenge. And he, you know, he does his coach thing. He pulls the tribe around him and he starts but, you know, leading them like he does, like he's a soccer coach. He goes, you know, we need to be positive after this loss. The last thing we need to do is go off and pointing fingers. That's the worst thing we can do. So we immediately cut to a scene of Coach bashing Sierra and Aaron and pointing fingers behind their <laughs> back. That's a wonderful <laughs> editing joke right there. Let's just bury Coach as the worst we can. So yeah, so we immediately cut to Coach pointing fingers with with Tyson saying Sierra and Aaron are terrible. We need to get rid of them.
1: Uh, and this is where we get the assistant coach, right?
0: Uh, yeah because yeah Tyson Tyson again just lots of stuff and coach coach is imitating how worthless Sierra was in that challenge He's like "Ah," doing his little yell and and Tyson's just laughing and he's like you know this coach guy he's the perfect coach because he isn't the best at what he does and he likes the sound of his own voice so he's just perfect at being a coach and then he has this really famous confessional where coach says you know Tyson you're my buddy you're my assistant coach so if I'm the leader you're like my second in command and And Tyson tells us, you know, this guy, he has a little schoolboy crush on me. It's kind of cute. And then Tyson's like, my plan by the end of this game is I'm going to get promoted to coach. And I'll demand (laughs) that people call me that. And he's like, if there's a swap and I ever go to the other tribe, I will demand that they call me coach. (laughs) (laughs) So one of these people, I think people remember coach and Tyson being buddy-buddy. But Tyson bashes coach as much as anybody does. So that's one of my favorite Tyson quotes. Like, one day I will be on the other tribe and I will demand they call me coach.
1: I would actually have loved that situation to happen if there was a swap in token jeans and like Tyson went over to Jalapow and demanded Jeff call him coach because you imagine Jeff being like it's coach and coach working on the puzzle.
2: No, I am the coach. At this point, like coach is starting to resemble like a WWE wrestler <laughs> and not not necessarily like in physique and whatnot and anything like that. And then you know, co- coach is you know built enough dude and all that sort of stuff but it's like you know what always strikes me is i go back and like watch old wwe events like from the 90s and something that not only did have the weird gimmicks where like you know people were mounties or correctional officers or things like that but this is a time for like Shawn michaels and breath the hitman heart where like people would just walk around with just long hair and it's just normal you know, like I was, you know, and, and it's like coach is just walking around. He's got the man bun way before man buns were popular. And he's just walking around. He's just like, I want the strong people to survive. And he's yelling. And he's just like, that's just a quarter of my strength. And it's like he literally is now just walking around with long hair cutting promos everywhere he goes.
0: Well, I just like the, the overall picture you think about it this I am strong everyone I can only take the strong to the end meanwhile he's been completely irrelevant or useless in every single challenge we're going to get to one down the road a weight bearing one which is hilarious because coach isn't even involved in that one, which I cannot believe he wasn't involved in that but yeah it's just his whole persona that I am the strong only the strong can get to the end and he's completely worthless in almost every challenge but yep. again
1: if he's like rationalizing it because he's going to Now, he was pissed off about the challenge, but now he warps it in his head as if it's a good thing by saying, you know what, Jalapao looked dirtier than us. They probably needed it more than us. And this is where he goes on about his survivalism about how, you know, I don't need a shelter. I could just bury myself in the sand and let tarantulas crawl all over me and I'll thrive in this environment.
0: You know, I will be the first to admit that would be a good season. I would love to watch 39 Days of Coach buried in the sand with tarantulas. All right. So, yeah, so. Again, we're talking about ko-chair only because there's literally nothing to talk about on Jalapao. We're going to go back to Jalapao here, and they're like, uh, Timbura is struggling. We win more and more time, and we can finish them off. Hey, we won a tarp. Let's go fish. And that's really, that's Jalapao's storyline. So we're going to go to Exile Island because at least that's more interesting. Let's see what's going on there. Okay, so here we go to Taj and Brendan on Exile Island, and they're figuring out the clues. They get the second clue, and it says, the idol is surrounded by wood. And then they're like, you know... This is this is the part that a lot of people remember. This was a big storyline where they're like, you know, it's good that there's two of us that know this stuff. Well, what if we each brought in one more person from our tribe and make it a four-person alliance? We could have this super secret cross-tribe alliance that no one would know about. We'd have all the idols. Like, we'd be unstoppable once we hit the merge. And so who should we bring in? And Taj suggests we'll bring in Steven. And we've never really seen them being super close, but... She's like, okay, I'll bring in this little nerdy kid. He's he seems like he's eager to please and dependable and trustworthy, so I'll bring him in. And Brendan says I'll bring in Sierra. And this is where it becomes important. We go back to that scene on day the second episode where, you know, where Sierra went to Brendan to help her find the idol because she's the one person that was he was the one person that was nice to her. So that, that was kind comes in important here. So this is the long lost Exile Island Alliance, which is Taj, Steven, Brendan, and Sierra.
1: So on paper, I think I was really excited about this idea. At the time, just because I think for a while, switches aside, we were used to survivors sort of existing as these two warring tribes, these two warring factions that, you know, competed against each other. And then when the merge came, that's when the fireworks really went off. And they, we'll see who becomes friends, who becomes foes. And this is one of the first times that, like, someone is reaching across the aisle to say, No, we're going to work together. And on paper, it's such a good plan because. Not only are they making a cross-tribal alliance, they're making a cross-tribal alliance where they're the only people that know about the hidden immunity idols. So in actuality, they could get both idols in their hands, so they could both guarantee their twosomes make it to the merge. From there, they'll have a plurality of votes and hopefully some plus ones from there where they could, in theory, take it all the way to the end of the game. So essentially, guaranteeing your end game with people that you should be warring against this early on in the game is very staggering. Again, nothing's going to come of it, but I really love this idea when it first came to fruition.
3: I loved it too, because it just was so back to basics. Um, But I was also (laughs) upset that it didn't pan out.
0: Yeah, it should be unstoppable. Like you said on paper, and I, I, having been someone who was back in the early days of survivor, I was involved in like the ORG communities and I used to run ORG games and stuff. This was like the wet dream of anybody who ran an online role playing game back then, a survivor one you wanted a cross tribal alliance because that would be just a cool storyline because it's something you never really saw in survivor and in every game you were in or ran you would you would hope this would happen and it just never happened like i said this was this was the the, the wet dream the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for anybody involved in one of these orgs you, i want to see this cross tribal alliance and so i will say that it's like people remember the token teens being the story of steven and jt you remember you think that storyline was there all along it's really not there all along The Exile Island Alliance was the story. As people were watching the season, and if you were to ask someone what's the theme of the season going to be by the end of the season, around episodes four, five, six, seven, you would have said, oh, it's going to be the Exile Island Alliance. This is going to be really interesting because we've never had this on Survivor before. It's going to be really fascinating. So that's just one thing I want to keep in perspective here. As people were watching the season, this was the story. This was what made Token Teens kind of exciting as it was going on. Like, Watch this develop with something that's never really happened before. I outnerded you guys with my ORG talk. Sorry.
2: Oh, well, right. I'm sorry. Were you talking? Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> it was
1: it was close enough to talking about fan fiction that Jay just tuned out.
0: It's an ORG. Other people did this one too. You can't lump this in one in fan fiction. Everyone did this. Rafe did this. All right.
1: Well, so let's go Rafe back to
0: Jellibots. I mean, <laughs> I don't have any stronger. I have no stronger card than that. I'm just totally bluffing. I'm like a poker player here with a horrible hand. All right, so let's go back to Jalapow and see what's going on there. Okay, Sandy wakes up on day nine, and she knows she's a sex kitten today. All right, that's all we have. Let's go to the immunity challenge. All right, so this is the episode three immunity challenge where they have to roll these big crates and spell out these, spell out their tribe name and make a little staircase and go to the top. It's a famous challenge they do in other seasons as well. Is this the first time they do it, though?
1: Mm-hmm, and this, they do not uh, roll it on Rupert's toe this time, unfortunately. Damn it.
0: All right. Yeah. So the episode three, immunity, the rolling of the crates and uh, this is the challenge where, you know, it's, there's a lot to happen to me being important to the game. But I have to point out, this is the first instance of Steven doing his goofy ass run. Where You see Steven, the way he pumps his arms. It's one, it's one of my favorite little images. And I'm, it kills me that I haven't had a chance to write about it on the funny 115. He just moves his arms incredibly awkward as he runs and it makes him look odd. So just point that out because I'll be writing about that someday. Alright, so we have uh, Timbura leads most of this challenge, but then they kind of badly blow it at the end and they choke, and Jalapa wins immunity. Thank God the Boring Tribe wins. Let's not... We don't want to vote them out. You can see you can see the enthusiasm for this episode leaking through As No one has anything to say about anything.
3: I literally was thinking of something to say, and I couldn't. I, I, so I wish I did. I really do. I'm sorry. Like, there's nothing that's <laughs> no. inherently, like, bad or awful. There's just, like... I mean, it's like Lamina. Like, what do you say? It's
1: tough because when you have the person who's going to go home, say, not even when they get back to camp, after the challenge ends, Jerry says to people, I'm done. I'm through. And basically the, the rest of this episode is going to be Jerry wants to quit, but should we vote off Aaron instead? That's the entire camp scene before we get to tribal council.
0: Yeah. And I will say, thank God for coaching this episode. There's literally nothing going on. we're gonna have a great coach scene so i'm so excited this is this is the scene where coach becomes coach in my mind all right you guys have any yeah before we go to the chris farley why why
2: don't you get to it because (laughs) i mean jerry is sick and jerry wants to go home and everyone's thinking about voting off jerry
0: right so all right one of my favorites there's no way i can get through this without laughing because this is absolutely one of my top two or three coach moments where They go back to camp, and they're having the discussion who they're going to vote out, and it looks like it's going to be Jerry, because Jerry's sick, Jerry's dying, and Jerry's completely irrelevant to the storyline. So as they're talking, Aaron smiles, because she's off the hook. It totally would have been Aaron, but look, Jerry's dying, so we have to get rid of him instead. So Aaron smiles. And oh, does that piss off coach? Oh, coach sees that smile and he is furious. And again, he already hates Aaron. He has a grudge against her for lying, insulting their intelligence, just being a little rat to start with and not sharpening iron like other people. So coach sees Aaron smiling when she knows off, she's off the hook. And oh, my God, is he furious? So he pulls Tyson aside. And again, I don't even have to write down this, the, the notes. I can almost quote it verbatim where coach is like, did you see it? Tyson's like, what? And Coach is like, the smile, the grin. And Tyson's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Coach is like, Aaron. He goes, I practiced it. Watch. When she learned she wasn't going home, she did this. And he does the perfect little impression of Aaron smiling evilly. And it's such a ridiculous scene because – a, Coach is like, I practiced it. And you know he has. You know he's been off in the woods practicing this. I don't know if he, he fashioned a mirror out of a rudimentary piece of wood so he could see himself. I don't know. But he's been practicing his Aaron impression. And he shows it to Tyson. And then Coach gives the quote, I am so true. I cannot exist around people who smile <laughs> evilly at the expense of others. Uh, Tyson is just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Coach has whipped himself into a lather. He's so upset about this. But that's the quote right there. I am so true. I cannot exist around her. And then Coach adds, you guys can, but I can't. I am in a conductor. I cannot exist around evil smilers.
1: What, what would happen if they kept Aaron? Would Coach, like, commit Harry Carey or something and die the noble samurai death that they kept her around? I don't know. But that... To me, that's the scene that
0: won me over as a fan of Coach. And again, not because I'm rooting for him, just because, like, oh, my God, the editors are having so much fun with this guy and some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. But Tyson, I practiced it. I practiced it!
2: Well, according to the funny115.com, it was the 40th best moment of version 2 of the...
0: You know why? It's because I cannot put Coach as the top 10 moments. I would just put every Coach moment in the top 10. That's where he should have been. But I just... I was. People hated Coach. You couldn't do that. I had to slowly, just slowly say things about Coach that were funny to maybe give myself a chance so that I could sell that last entry at number one as the Coach one. But yeah, this is the scene, in my opinion, where Coach becomes Coach. And it's just one ridiculous thing coming out of his mouth after another from here on out.
2: I also like that Coach is the number one entry on the version 2 of the Funny 115, just Coach. And then number 40 is the evil Aaron smile. Number 23 is Coach doing Coach things. I'm just saying I, I, yeah, I, don't I, don't, have any.
0: I don't apologize i apologize for none of this coach is the funniest thing that's ever happened on survivor i swear to I'm, god i'm not
2: i'm not asking for an apology and i'm not trying to make a statement i'm just saying that number 23 is coach doing coach things number one is coach number 40 is aaron evil smile i'm just saying these are you know, facts
1: i i am so true that i cannot be on a podcast where people smile evilly, talking about other people's countdowns on the internet about survivor
0: <clears throat> you know what's funny is you know i've talked to coach many times about his edit this season and then you know he he said before and he's you know i believe him he's like you know i they portrayed me in a way that i don't think was really accurate and then like only some of the producers really understood what i was like and like you can see the episodes where they liked me you can see the episodes where they didn't like me at all but like how does he defend that smiling evilly discussion <laughs> like there's no way the editors made that up there's no way to take that out of context that's exactly how it happened and I like I practiced it. Here's her evil smile. Like, I don't know. I hope other people enjoy this as much as I do. Because just again, everything that we said about Ace, magnify that by about a hundred. Like the get a load of this guy. Coach is now eclipsed. Ace. We're already in the third episode.
2: All right. So, and, uh, any uh, anything else about Jerry?
1: Uh, Brent, Brendan finds no, the idol. In all of this. Oh yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, as if it wasn't enough.
0: As if Coach wasn't an a-hole enough. Now we have Brendan literally finding the idol in the statue's butthole.
1: Yeah, so essentially uh, the tribal homelands and being surrounded by wood <laughs> <The homelands>. fin- <laughs> finally led Brendan to the tree mail. He said it's either in the shelter or it's in tree mail. And he was you know, essentially shaking the, the this tribal statue around and jostling it to try to find where the idol is. And he finally sees this like little grass skirt that the statue is wearing, and he reaches into its posterior, and he pulls out the Henry Mead idol that, spoiler alert, will never get used. Neither one of the idols get used in this season for the big hullabaloo that's made out Back to basics. Back to basics. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, the Exile Alliance has paid off in a way in that due to insight from Taj, Brendan has found one of the idols.
3: I love that he describes it as a little hole.
0: (laughs) I cannot exist around people who give statues a prostate exam.
1: That's just classless.
2: But if but if, if you think about it, this is this is the the genesis for what's going to happen next season um, with with a certain individual who finds hidden idols just in places around camp because you use certain logic like Brendan's like, OK, it's at home. It's got to be in a place of interest, right? Like it's not just going to be in some random place. It's, it's going to be somewhere that's like by a landmark or is a landmark or something like that. And, you know, put two and two together, you're going to figure it out.
0: I found that statue's little crack. All right. So, yes. So there's Brendan the Idol. So, okay. So we go before the vote, and Aaron is, of course, walking around everyone saying, you know, Jerry's sick. Guys, Jerry's sick. I don't know if you noticed Jerry's sick over there. So Aaron is smiling evilly and selling Jerry out. And and so this is where uh, we get another great quote. Again, I say thank God for Coach, but thank God for Tyson. The two of them back to back and some of these scenes are fantastic. And Tyson is just laughing at Aaron. He's like, yeah, and she's all happy now. She knows she's not going to get voted out tonight. But he's like, you know. Anytime there's a blindside, it's pretty awesome because I love the look on their face. So he's fantasizing about Aaron and Jerry. Like, Jerry's going to get blindsided tonight. Aaron's going to get blindsided next. And Tyson's like, you know, I I love seeing people's faces when you you, I love seeing them cry when you crush their dreams. It's hilarious, which is is fan. It's a fantastic setup of a fall of a villain quote right there.
1: Survivor winner.
0: Yes, exactly. But again, he's not saying this to people's faces. It's just, yeah. Admittedly, the editors have made a dis- made a decision to make him look like a douche, and this maybe he was saying the same stuff, in later in Blood versus Water, and they didn't show it. Who knows? All right, so uh, <laughs> here we go. More coach stuff. <clears throat> we go to Tribal Council. Even in a Jerry scene, it's going to be a coach moment. So we go to Tribal Council, and uh, you know Jerry is over there wheezing his last breath. They got him hooked up to oxygen and stuff. He's like, oh, and they're like, uh, you know, what's going on around camp? And Jerry says, we need a leader. Brendan should be the leader. And we got to coach. Coach disagrees that anybody but coach should be a leader. And this will be a running subplot for a little bit here where where coach is like, but I I have leadership skills too. When we were on the truck that first day, I was the one telling everyone with my eyes which supplies to take. Now coach is taking credit for his eye leadership. And uh, so Aaron and coach start bickering. Aaron points out, you know, you're not a leader. You're all talk. And coach is like, you smile evilly, you whore of Babylon or whatever he says.
1: Well, I, I Yeah, I love that Coach is like, oh, this is just another conflict in our personality clash. And Aaron's like, I didn't know that we had a personality clash. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so then uh, then everyone agrees that Brendan should be the leader. Brendan's the one we all respect. Brendan's the respected soccer coach slash conductor slash dragon slayer. And we keep cutting to Coach being horrified that they would pick anybody but Coach to be the leader. And then uh, Coach finally admits, "Okay, I would rather be the assistant coach rather than the head coach. I'm fine with that." And you just see Brendan and Tyson laughing off to the side. They cut to them like, "Yeah, I'm sure Coach is perfectly fine with other people being the leader." And then in all this, goodbye, Jerry. That's it. Oh, Jerry. And that is the end of yeah. That is the end of Coach and the rest of the players in episode three.
2: It was really good that Jerry hid his, you know, his 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 his, his army background from everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it'll be a bottom three more days, who knows.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. I, wh-
0: I would like to, I would like to take a poll for our listeners. How many of you remember there was a Jerry on Survivor Token Teens? I bet it's not many of you. So, we are now up to episode 4, where we were, for the first time we're going to lose a significant character. This is literally the first time we're going to lose someone who factored into the story.
2: Yeah, but we're losing Sandy, but but there's a whole, I mean, you know, you're you're a writer, Mario, and there there's a phrase. It's not a total writing phrase, but there's it's it's storyline stuff where where a story has legs, right? If a story has legs, it means it's got you know, it's got like an arc that's potential. going to go, a potential deep, right? And it's like I always think that when I watch uh, early uh, episodes of Survivor in a Season is, is, you know, there's there's a bunch of different storylines kind of coming at you. And what I try to discern is is which stories have legs. Right. And at the beginning in, in the first episode, we talked about it. We had our two outcasts from each tribe. We had Sandy and we had Sierra. And it's like Sandy is the more bombastic of the two. But Sandy's story never has any legs. It's just Sandy being upset and going, oh, I'll show them. But it's just mainly just Sandy. Like, she gets the dodo music. She can't find the idol. She doesn't know what a pace is. And every time you see her, she's upset and she's, you know, just raging about something. Whereas Sierra is, they're not putting her in a, in a, in a positive light. But you see her bonding with Brendan and getting away with the whole fire pit thing with Debbie. And then, you know, she's being mentioned as part of this exile alliance. And so it's like both of these characters you can tell aren't going to win the game, but Sierra's story has legs, and Sandy's story never had legs. So even though she's significant, you are like she is going to fizzle out very quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's a perfect four four episode character.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sandy's great, well above the Ashby
0: line. Yeah. Oh uh, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, the other three. We're, <laughs> you can make a strong case they're all well below the Ashby line. But yeah, Sandy clearly is above it. So we will do our best to honor Sandy here in a episode where Coach does many great things. <laughs> all right. So we go back to camp. Tibira apparently Tabira has a new leader now. They've elected Brendan. Brendan is going to be the leader. And <laughs> Coach is not having it. Coach is still a little bothered that someone else has been elected leader of the tribe. And he comes back and he's got this quote. Well, it's a dark, sultry, sulky night. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, only... Yeah, only only coach would like sexualize a time of day.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna make love to the night.
1: <laughs> and then, but he also like he also has this habit of like calling people cancer on the tribe. First, Candice was the cancer, so they thought they excised that. Now, Aaron is the cancer on the tribe.
0: Well, Coach kind of started the whole oncology thing where he diagnoses cancers. So I don't know if people know that. I think I think I read somewhere that that was how he got time off from his job actually that he told people he had cancer or something like that. God. Am I making am I making it up? I'm the
1: cancer in this office. I need to go.
0: <laughs> I think I swear to god someone told me that that's how coach got time off he told his, his employer he had cancer or something. <laughs> I hope that's true. If not, I just totally slighted the guy or uh, slandered him. Sorry, Coach. Okay, so Coach is still mad about Aaron. He was especially mad that Aaron, a tribal council, said Brendan was a better leader. Again, she's the cancer of the tribe. She would have gone home tonight, except Jerry was so weak. She smiles evilly. She's not iron. He's got a whole list.
1: And he also goes into this whole Shaquilla, from what I remember, about what he thinks about Brendan becoming the leader.
0: Well, at least five different times... Coach points out that I could lead just as well if something happened to Brendan, but he's the leader, but I can lead, but he's the leader.
1: And then on top of that, we have this great Tyson quote. Let me see if I can remember it. Uh, uh, this is the like, uh, oh, I, I'm i not sure if Brendan or Coach was the leader. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> From coaching to delusions of grandeur and just grandstanding and monologuing. We go to Coach and he's like, or er, Tyson. Uh, last night, we established a leader, I guess, to Coach or, Ty, or Brendan. He's like, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. I don't really care. <laughs> so just the back and forth. And then, again, Coach is still going off. You know, if Brendan gets voted out, then I could be the leader. But that's not what I would do because iron sharpens iron. So I cannot vote Brendan out. So Coach, is, he's got his own little subplot at this point. He's just going to tell you what the storyline is. This is Coach's storyline. has nothing to do with anything else, but lots of Coach here. And then he tells the tribe, we need to thrive out here in the wild. Not just exist, we need to thrive. And he's upset because I've lived out here. I've been in the wild, wild, in the wilderness. No one else has. I I could be buried with the tarantulas. So, anyway, that's Coach's monologue. He's done. Alright, my voice is gone. I'm talking about Coach too much. You guys can go for it. So, let's talk about Taj and Steven here now. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, yeah, so, the talk of the town, that Jellipow, is about Taj going to exile so many times, and like you said last episode, Taj sort sure of said, okay, I'm going to bring Steven in as my number two. Like you said, we haven't really seen too, too much of them, but we get a little bit of Taj here in Confessional where she says, like, Steven comes across as, like, the, the, the nerdy, shy guy who wants to help everybody, and I guess he's the most trustworthy out of everyone who's left. And so Taj makes the proposition to Steven to be part of, quote, the biggest upset on Survivor history. And Steven vocalizes it best when he says, I think I just stumbled ass-backwards into a major <laughs> alliance
0: which is funny because his pants have no ass at the moment so it's a good it's very fitting but yeah do you want to be part of the greatest upset yes yes i do very much yeah so taj pulls steven in this is the big moment where we now have three of the four members of the exile island alliance and in, in. brendan maybe not so much didn't do his part
2: well yeah, right, he yeah. ran he ran out of time
0: what, what can i say <laughs> very busy very busy Yes, so Taj and Steven agree, okay, the next person to go to Exile Island, we have to go Steven or Sierra, we have to make sure everyone's involved in this plan So Steven, you or Sierra have to go next, that's the plan and he's like, okay, sounds good So, and then we cut back to Timbure and Brendan's like Yeah, I haven't really told Sierra about Pile Island Alliance yet Which, I don't know what, you got nothing out there but time and opportunity So yeah, so this is going to be a little wrench in their plan So with that, we go right into the episode 4 reward challenge What a doozy Oh yeah, the Andrew Savage Memorial. Although, that's not how Pope's remembers it. Apparently. Oh, I, I,
2: Savage's first name is Andrew. I totally forgot. <laughs>
0: yes. <clears throat> okay, for those who haven't seen it in a while, this is episode four. This is the where you balance the sandbags on your shoulders. We have to balance as much weight as you can, and the other tribes putting weight on certain people's shoulders. It's first saw it in Pearl Islands and. To this day, again, I, I joke calling it the Andrew Savage Memorial, but I always remember this as the Andrew Savage Challenge. Oh, when yeah, he
2: absolutely. carries all
0: that weight. He's the big hero. It's an amazing feat of strength, the leader of the Morgans. And it's always the one thing I point out when people say he's a horrible leader. He, he sucks. I'm like, that's the Andrew Savage scene. That's a great scene. And it's funny because later in, the, in this challenge, Probst is going to say, you know, the record for weight in this is uh, back in Pearl Islands. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, Andrew Savage. And prop's like, Rupert. Like, what? I don't remember Rupert being the big star of that challenge, but okay. But anyway, yeah, so you're balancing, they're balancing the weight on the shoulders, and the reward for this is the camp raid, which I don't think
1: we've seen since the Marquesa, is that correct? Since Marquesas? No, Pearl, well, Pearl Islands was, like, the major component of the reward, right? But yeah, I, I don't. I think it's been a while since we've had, like, that be just a standalone reward of go to the other camp and pick a few items.
0: Yeah, so it's, a, again, throwback. Pearl Island's challenge with a Marquesis reward. And basically it's, uh, for Jalapao, we have Joe, Taj, and JT out there balancing raw weight on their shoulders. And Timbira has Debbie, Brendan, and Tyson, which I think is amazing that Coach had nothing to do with this challenge because you know, as iron sharpens iron, you know, I wish I would have seen the scene of Coach talking about how amazing he would be at this, yet somehow yes. backing out of
3: it. <laughs> I, know, I, kind of, of, I know we don't get any coach throwing a fit, which I feel like did happen. There's no way it didn't.
1: No, because you know what coach would be. Coach would be like, listen, I could do that. I'm great at lifting weights, but you need someone to place the sandbags in perfect <laughs> precision to make sure that Jala i falls. I'm, I'm, I'm going to whisper things in their ears. I'm going to use mental manipulation to get JT <laughs> to drop his weights early. So this is really where you need to put me.
2: Yeah, he had to have begged off because Debbie is a person who, who is carrying a thing. Like I have, a, I have a hard time thinking that Debbie's like, oh, me, 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 me. I can carry all the weight, and everyone's like, yeah, that's a great idea.
1: Well, they had to have one female. It
0: was
2: two yeah, males, one female.
1: And if you think it's her, Aaron or Sierra, I think that Debbie is definitely like the one-eyed man in that blind kingdom.
2: Yeah. I guess, I guess it comes down to Tyson or Coach. My bad. Yeah, yeah.
0: And again, I would have, I just would have loved to see that scene that they left on the editing room floor of Coach monologuing for 10 minutes about how strong he is, how much weight he can lift, but I will opt out because I think you guys can do it and I can give the wisdom and the guidance. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Coach has nothing to do with the the savior challenge, which I think is hilarious. All right, so yeah, so they all stand out there and they uh, get the rocks put on their shoulders and the first one out is Brendan. Brendan goes down at... Two hundred twenty pounds, which Probst points out was the record that Rupert, the man with the beard, set back in Pearl Islands.
1: I don't know why he felt he needed to describe the qualities of Rupert. I, I know that it's you know it's been five years since Rupert has appeared on the show, but I feel like the the fire there was still burning pretty bright. That you don't need to describe his facial characteristics for us to remember <laughs> who Rupert was.
0: Yeah, remember that guy with the pearl with the tie dye. Remember him. Remember
2: beard tie-dye was a horrible reward for Israeli Survivor? Yeah, that guy.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> That's Probst doing the Chris Farley show. All right, so yeah, so Brendan goes out first, and then do you Tyson remember goes when
2: out. Rupert, Yeah, Do you remember when Rupert was like, you know, uh, like a good tradable commodity on Survivor? Like, Rupert did this thing. Oh, shit, well, Rupert did it. Oh, well, oh, my
0: God.
1: He built the best shelter in Survivor history. Do you
0: remember when he was an answer on a Pringles chip? Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so Brendan's out first at 220, and then Tyson goes out at 140. And Coach is like, I so could have done at least 160. So yeah, so it's basically Debbie against Jalapao, which you're like, well, this isn't going to be close. And then all of a sudden, the Jalapao's all go out, where JT drops at 220, where he ties the record with Rupert, and then Joe just suddenly drops out of nowhere. So it really comes down to Debbie versus Taj. And it's kind of a cool challenge. And it's it looks like it's going to be close, and then Debbie drops. So Taj, the big star, wins immunity for the Jalapao's.
1: And and she has a really, really classy moment here, though, where she's like, listen, I got to give it up to Debbie. And she like actually runs over to hug Debbie. And again, in a season that's about a lot of like cross mingling between tribes, even though they never swap. That's that's an interesting moment coming from someone who, again, is a pretty major part of the first part of the season.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a cool moment. It just and- Taj wins. And the first thing she does is congratulate the loser, which is a really nice, neat moment.
3: Well, and I remember from this moment. I don't know if it was in Jeff Probst's like interview after you know the episode. I can't remember exactly what the press agreement was back then, but I remember this question came up about that moment happening, and Jeff said that you know Mark Burnett from the beginning really maintained he wanted to have. Not that much mingling between the two tribes. Obviously, we see that in the first season a lot. But I think after that, he really wanted to keep them separate and to not have moments like this. But he said this was a moment that like, it happened so organically and naturally that they let it happen because it was such a touching moment for everyone then. Even though that's not something that the show really you know, lets happen that much. They really want to try to keep these tribes separate and competing against each other.
0: And the other thing, though, that know, they cut out the second part of the scene where Taj whispers in her ear, you know, we're digging a fire pit. We're going to have a beach party tonight. And Debbie's like, beach
3: party! That's cool. <laughs> All
0: right. So, yeah. So with uh, Jalapao winning the tribe, they get to pick someone to go to Exile Island. And they pick Sierra. And they're like, and it's in, and it's if you are following the Exile Alliance story, it's like, oh, my God, Sierra doesn't know about the Exile Island. She's going to mess the, the Alliance. She's going to mess it up. So they pick Sierra to go to Exile Island. And Sierra says, OK, I pick Taj. And so it's like all right so crisis averted cuz Taj will just explain it now. So it's like well that didn't go anywhere.
1: There's a fun moment here where Taj is the one to vocalize like okay we're going to let's let's have Sierra try it out and Sierra says all right well I'm going to return the favor and Taj says oh you witch but you could tell there's like a slight <laughs> smile in her voice if that makes sense of like oh thank god that this plan is going along cuz if she had picked like JT or someone who knows how things could have gone differently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like well, I guess that little plot, uh, the little plot twist went nowhere. <laughs> all right, so we go back to Timbira and JT and Joe are the ones that come over to raid, and I don't like the way this raid is done. I remember in Marques it's a lot more fun because you know it's in front of everyone and both everyone sees everyone there and it's all frantic and stuff. And in this one, it's not like that at all. JT and Joe just kind of saunter over and shake hands and everyone hugs and like it's it's not quite as big a deal as the Marquesas one was.
2: And Savage calls him Big JT. <laughs> big JT
0: yes <laughs> yeah so JT and Joe come over and they and they before they come we see Timbera talking about we don't want them to take all of our beans we have two sacks of beans they could take them both because they don't have any food over there so JT and Joe come over and and the Timberas are like talking to them they're like you know if you take both our sacks of beans we could have a switch down the road and one of you can end up over here and you have no food so think about this before you start taking all of our stuff which is probably a pretty good argument and so JT and Joe both agree, yeah, let's only take one of their sacks of beans, and we'll take their canister of water, and that's it. And it's all very, what's the right word here? They're all very amiable, amicable?
1: Amicable. Just, amicable. amicable.
0: there you go, thank you. Thank you, my teachers have helped me out. Yeah, so, yeah, so they're all very friendly, and it's, they're on good terms. And it's not really, it's nowhere near the rate of Marquesas, which is one of my favorites.
1: And Sandy is not happy with that decision. One might say she's
0: pissed. Pissed. <laughs> He's and <farting> mad. <laughs> Yeah, so we go back to Jalapau, and Joe T A T and Joe said, yeah, we took this sack of beans, we left them one, we took their other one, and Sandy's pissed. She's like, you know, you demoralize the other tribe. You don't. If they have 100 guns, you don't take 75 and leave them 25 to shoot you. So she's like, we could have taken both of their beans, and then she says, these are farting beans, <laughs> which is a perfectly natural segue from one argument to the other one.
1: Well, you know, I think Jalapeno went over really well, so she's working on her next big hit. <laughs> yes, this is the follow-up bit.
0: They should
2: have just looked at her and said, "We shouldn't take all those beans, Sandy. I mean, they got Jerry.
1: Yeah. These are cursed <laughs> beans." Yes. Actually, that's what Timbira should have said. They're like, "Listen, one of our guys had to go out because he was he ate these beans and they they didn't work well on his stomach. Do you really want to try your luck with that?"
0: All right. So, so we start going back to uh Jalipow, and Jalapao's talking about uh <clears throat> you know, it's it's a uh, it's annoying having sandy around she repeats everything she say one thing and it gets a laugh and then she repeats it three more times which finally we've caught out caught on as well that seems to be what sandy does so uh we
3: do on historians too we say something
0: funny and what? we just say it a lot <laughs> jay fucking hates the mormons <laughs> all right oh my god <laughs> all right yeah so uh so yeah, Sandy is still on the outs with the Jallop house. She hasn't fit in. She's known that, and now she says, "Well, Sid- Sydney's the one that needs to go." And it's like, who the fuck is Sydney? We've never seen a Sydney on the season. And they're like, Sandy's like, you know, she flirts with everyone. She wears JT's boxer shorts. She rubs up against him. She gives him massages. She's so beautiful, and she has all the guys wrapped around their finger. And she's like, she needs to go. That one's trouble. And what's the quote here? Sandy has a. If they're planning to, oh, she says he- Yeah, Sydney's always taking off her bra around people and walking around with no bra, and she doesn't like it. And Sandy's like, you know, if they're planning to vote you off, you better be pulling off more than a bra. You better be pulling off some panties or something. (laughs) Which is is your Sandy quote. I was surprised that wasn't the quote of the episode, the title of the episode. You better pull off some panties or something.
2: And that was the workshopped joke. What was it like going into it?
0: (laughs) You know, that's polished. The polished version like a rock. All right, so we go to Exile Island with Sierra and and Taj and get more tree mail, and Taj figures out, oh, okay, so the idol is back at tree mail. That's where it is. And Brendan's already found it, so he hasn't confirmed that to her. And then Sierra and Taj are like, so, uh, uh, Sierra, you've been having some interesting discussions with Brendan, I bet, back at camp. Sierra's like, no, I'm sick. And then Taj's like, well, you haven't talked to Brendan? No, I'm sick. Strep throat. Thanks, guys. And then Taj. So Taj has to fill her in, and sierra's like okay that sounds cool so all that drama about brendan not telling sierra comes absolutely becomes meaningless sierra's like yeah this is cool all right i'm in an exile alliance now so there we go yeah all right
1: yeah let's talk about naked tyson <laughs> all right
0: yeah thank god let's get to coach tyson to do something to save this season let's keep it going okay we go back to Timbira and we get a confessional where uh They say, you know, today's a relaxed fun day. No work. We're just going to hang around and and just joke around and have fun. So Tyson's interpretation of that is to put on a loincloth instead of his pants so his naked ass cheeks are hanging out and run around and do a little tribal dance like he's a tribesman in a racist old 1950s movie, which everyone laughs and they love it. Except Aaron. Aaron doesn't find this amusing. Everyone else is cracking up. And Aaron's like, I'm having a hard time bonding with these people. I just don't find them funny. I'm not really fitting in. and. Then we get the scene where she tells us that she just had a horrible breakup right before she came out here, and she's not really in the mood, and this is, like, a dark time in her life, and she's just really not feeling it. It's not really fitting in with anybody, so.
1: Did she have a relationship with, like, a tribesman, and that's why Tyson dancing around, like, really strikes a chord with her?
0: I think so, yeah. I, she's triggered. I think that's that was it. I don't know. But yeah, it's, I'd, I'd actually forgotten this scene was in here where Aaron kind of gets a little moment where she says, you know, she's had this horrible moment in her life and she's now just trying to get over it and maybe she shouldn't have come out here so soon or something.
1: And then, of course, who do we have to be completely sympathetic to Aaron in her time of need? Then cut to the tribesman himself, Tyson, saying like, yeah, you know, I haven't really talked to Aaron. uh We haven't really had any one-on-ones. Uh, but I think it'd be, she'd have a fun freak out if I voted her out. <laughs>
0: It's, Tyson should be a counselor. He should be a youth counselor. All right. So we're going into the episode 4 immunity challenge. This is uh we go to the okay, this is the immunity challenge where they get puzzle pieces and they have to they have to run out. They have to run this zigzag pattern out into the, in through the brush, grab these puzzle pieces, untie them, bring back, and they, it's a, one of these crossing zigzag paths where you run in front of other someone else's path and you could collide with one another. And it's very similar. And I know Paul will appreciate this to the one in Africa where Kim Johnson just falls ass down as hard as she can, face first.
3: Amazing challenge. Too bad we didn't get any of that. Then I'd be talking about how this is the top three season for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, the Kim Johnson Memorial Challenge where they crisscross in the dirt and then uh, we get to see Stephen's weird arm girly running. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they spell out the puzzle and they get to the end and it's it's pretty close. But I think if I recall, it's Brendan of all people. Brendan's the one that figures out that the word immunity is on the bottom and they spell it out. So Timbira comes back to win this challenge and Timbira wins immunity. And this is, they just stopped Jalapao's four challenge winning streak. Wow, and we have nothing to add. Here we are, the joys of
3: token teens. I I actually fell asleep in this challenge. I'm not gonna lie. I like literally fell asleep and had to rewatch the end of this episode.
1: I w- I would say again, outside of like these little moments, like the coach stuff and some Tyson confessionals and the JT Stevens stuff, yeah, we're 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 a little bit like going through the motions here in that. It seems like it's between Sandy and Sydney, uh, two very similar sounding names, but two very different people. And it seems like JT and Steven are legitimately torn what to do. And Sydney makes this really kind of stupid comment, at least what's shown in the edit of, you know, what's your favorite part of the game? Oh, I love being sneaky. And betraying everybody and lying to people. That's great. Uh, but that ends up amounting to nothing because, you know, Sandy was able to avoid the chopping block once before, and she survived through the grace of winning challenges for the past six days. But now the axe has finally come. Yeah. yeah.
0: So in, in one fell swoop, we take out Sandy, and we build up the reason Sydney's going to get voted out soon. Yeah, I I
2: don't think that – I I wouldn't say that our lack of, of... – <laughs> Of of anything really to say about it is, is necessarily a stain on it in, in the sense that it's bad. It, it just is like it, it's fine. And I think it also goes to what I was talking about with the aloofness where I, I don't know if it's good storytelling or or anything like that. But everything just seems very logical for the most part. I mean, coach isn't, you know, like I get that fact. Everyone's sort of reasons at this point for doing things is just they're showing you. They they do a thing. They're showing you. They do a thing, and nothing is super revolutionary or groundbreaking or like incredible good television. It's just oh, there's a thing that happened. Oh, here's another thing it happened, and you know they're just sort of going through it.
0: I was trying to think if I could get some nice dead air in there to make some
1: awkward radio here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a cricket in there in post. <laughs> so with that
0: we lose sandy yeah we lose sandy and her story arc that as jay pointed out it was strong but it really ended about as far as it could have gone and we lose up to this point the most major character we've lost And, and again she's one i think she's a lot of fun when i was watching this season and i don't think a lot's going on in these first four episodes other than for the most part the exile island alliance or coach and tyson but sandy would be my fourth sandy was pretty interesting i thought she had some fun moments and i really appreciated her when she was around i can't say she should have been around much longer but for a four-episode character, I thought she was about as good as you can get.
1: Yeah, there's a moment in the first Tribal Council where Jeff just asks Sandy, like, Sandy, you a little crazy? And Sandy says, oh, I'm a lot of crazy. And I think that's just a great representation of, of Sandy in that she's very brazen, but she absolutely knows it. Between uh, the fart and beans and her reaction to uh, being one of the first people cast off of the tribe – I feel like it couldn't have gone to a better person on Jalapao. I don't know if you would get the type of reaction out of anybody else, maybe like Steven or Taj, but Sandy's by far the best person from a character perspective to do that. She was never long for the game, but I'm happy that we were able to get sort of the maximized potential out of her in these four episodes.
2: Yeah, the vote off was probably one of the best things to happen to Sandy. Not not necessarily in the game, but just she became a a fixture, and, and something happened to her that we got to focus on her quite a bit.
0: Can you imagine the horrifying reality when Paul's having a nice nap and he wakes up and he immediately sees the crazy old lady get voted out? Like, that's that's a double whammy, Paul. I'm sorry. It's quite
3: sad. And this was like spoiled for me because I remember this night that it aired. I was actually doing some babysitting and um, I remember I got a text. Like, so I, I was recording the episode I was going to watch when I got home and I, remember I got a text like like right around when the episode ended from my brother's friend that just said, ha ha, dumb Sandy. And I was like, oh, that must mean she got out.
0: <laughs> the inner workings are the Montana minutiae. I, I, every time I get a good Montana story, I love them.
3: Right. Very advanced you know, language skills. <laughs> also, so, it's, it's funny to think about Sandy as a bus driver. And I, I've had uh, in my teaching career, I've had a couple of times where I've had to be with young children on a bus. And um, Sandy's not the craziest bus driver that I've seen. So uh, it's kind of <laughs> scary. I'll turn this damn bus around right now. Chris
0: Farley and uh, what is that? Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I I, th- I think actually I read Sandy's bio. She doesn't. She's not a bus driver for school kids, right? She like is a union driver or something. She does. She works yeah, at night. I she says. Her. Like, yeah. I mean, they wouldn't let her around kids, <laughs> to be
1: honest. I'm, I'm I'm intrigued, Paul. The pre-show stuff for Sandy in that preview was what? Did she show a lot of her personality then too, or was it like? a big surprise when this came out in the very first episode.
3: Oh no, that was definitely, I mean, she she was exactly how she was. The the one thing they were really, they were hyping up that didn't really come to fruition was the fact that they said she swears like a sailor, like she swears and cannot stop swearing, which we never really saw that, you know, she was pretty PG the whole time she was on the show. But I mean, Jeff said right away, like Sandy will be one of the first people out. It's really sad because she's the older woman and she's kind of crazy but that's just kind of the way it is so it was kind of like you know we got it all except for the major cussing
0: you know i would say it doesn't surprise me that she would swear and then repeat the same swear word three times since that's what she does right <laughs> all right and with that i think we have uh, officially eulogized the first four episodes of survivor token teams all right let's give a big hand and i think that's all yeah i think that's all we had planned to do tonight uh we were trying to this, this season has short less episodes than other seasons. So we're trying to break it into three parts. So we're trying not to go too far into any any one uh block of episodes per podcast. So I think we're just gonna do four on this one. And do you guys have anything else to add about what we just talked about?
1: Very back to basics.
3: I think yeah I think our podcasting just kind of reflects like how the season is. Like we're not sitting here complaining like, oh, this season's like not good, but like this podcasting experience very much mirrors the way I feel about the season. Right? I just don't have a strong connection for it. I don't have a lot to say about it. And especially because I'm not like the biggest coach fan, I, it's just hard for me to to find little nuggets. I mean, there's some little ones in there, but it mostly revolves around coach and, and Tyson. So um, we'll see in this next set of episodes if there's more um, intrigue to talk about. But I mean, it was pleasant to talk about. It. It's not a horrible like season or flawed game or anything like that.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of unpleasantness. It's not nasty. It's not like mean spirited. It's not a bad season. It's just not something I have a lot of affinity to. Other than thank God there's a coach in my life I can write about now.
2: No, it's it's very civil. Like, and that's what I was saying. Like, everyone it seems very aloof. Like everyone seems very civil. Like, yeah, there's little outbursts here and there, and Sandy's pissed, and you know, Coach is so true and stuff like that. But but by, by the same token, it's you know,
1: by the same token, teens.
2: Yeah, by the same token, teens—it's—it's just—it's—it seems like everybody is just kind of, not that—not that they're dis—disengaging their emotions from each other, but at this point, they're all just, just neutral to okay about each other, and that's sort of how I feel about the season.
1: I think the next two episodes—you know—we're going to finish up the pre-merge, obviously. Uh, we're going to see maybe the one blemish on JT's perfect edit this season and looking back on how things went with Spencer and how they handled, you know, gunning for Spencer. uh, From what I remember, I think that comes off not so nice in retrospect. And then we're going to get rid of Sydney. But I I feel like the things start picking up when we get to the merge and we finally get these two groups to start interacting where, unfortunately, we sort of, like, get rid of the chaff from the wheat stalk of Jalapau once we end up with taj and steven and jt now interacting with tyson and coach and aaron and sierra so i'm excited for that i don't know if we're gonna get through the brendan boot or the tyson boot but things at least from my point of view these have been like for me enjoyable episodes so far but things definitely pick up and turn around once we get to the merge and these timbira people really start going after each other
0: yeah, and there's the uh, also the little matter of Coach going to Exile Island at some point down the road. Oh uh,
1: no, that we're gonna I, part three <laughs> might be as long as our part three of Gabon because I'm assuming we're gonna spend an hour at least talking about that final five episode.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna dissect it like the fucking JFK assassination. I'm gonna have little charts and graphs and we'll go through the whole scene. That, that's where I put my mic on mute and just you know <laughs> take a nap. You can say that. You can bash me. I don't care. I get to talk about Coach. Mute yourself. Go away. Let me talk. Okay fucking mormon hater all right <laughs> that's not even funny yes it is it's funny
1: yes yeah, sandy taught us he just repeats something <laughs> until it's funny
0: Exactly. i i'm polishing the joke this is my network this is my uh workshopping oh boy dum 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 all right so i think that's it uh, i want to uh thank everyone for stopping by thank you coach it's been nice having you help out here and uh we will be back for part two of uh token teens anybody have any other uh, closing remarks Nope. mm All right, they're not the greatest color man in the world for nothing. All right, as always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am telling you with my eyes to stick around and send us an email if you have any comments. SurvivorHistorians at gmail.com.
2: Uh, I'm Jay Fisher, and I totally love that Major League reference, by the way.
1: I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm currently searching for a man tiara. That's what we're talking about, right? I really wasn't listening.
3: I'm Paul, and I'm still pissed. And this is the Dragon Slayer, coach Benjamin Wade.
0: Paul, this is a game where you have to socially integrate. Integrate with the group.
3: Helicopter, helicopter, helicopter.
0: <laughs> okay, and I can sign off with the only way I was possible to end this episode. David Murphy, let's have sexy time. All right, talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot, bye. the, the look. What? The look on Aaron's face. I'm, I'm so pissed off, man. When she saw Jerry, it registered that she was still staying. She went'm I'm, I'm not kidding you. I practiced her look. She went like this. It was the evilest look. I can't stand it, man., yeah, I did. it just makes me sick because I, I exist. I'm just surround myself. With people that have integrity, and I cannot exist around people like that. You guys can because you can socialize with them. I am so true that existing around people that smile evilly when somebody else is on their knees kills me. I can't exist around, I can't look at her in camp, I can't walk by her now.
1: I don't know. It's uh, I wasn't paying attention, I don't really care.